This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime or use the coupon code lasertime to get a two-year plan plus one additional month, all at a huge discount. Please welcome to the pantheon of modern cinematic classics, Laura Croft, Green Lantern, Disney's Atlantis, and Kevin Costner's Robin Hood. This week on 302010. Ladies and gents and everything in between, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back on a journey across a single week across three decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it? That's the name of the show! Uh, this week we're recording from June 11th to the 17th, and we'll tell you all the great movies, television, music, video games, and more that came out during the period of June 11th to the 17th. Um, and I gotta say right off the bat, this is, unlike any other week we've recorded in the six years of doing this show, the week of the greatest mi- misfires in cinematic history that I've ever seen in my life. This whole wow. episode should be called Long-Term Development. <laughs> wow. Every one of these movies took like eight or nine years to get made. Yeah, and, and just kind of not... It's hard to say flops, especially when you look at the companies bringing these mm. out, but like when something is in development that long, they lost a shitload. It's bigger than box office. They lost a ton of money. It's Ooh. a different thing from a flop. It's like, it's not a spectacle, so I'm not going to put I, it in like Cats a- and Dick Tracy mode where I love it and it's wild. These are just like, put a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, they're not flops. They're fucking fiascos. Yeah. <laughs> they're <laughs> career shattered. But no, yeah, strangely, it didn't really hurt but anyone's not. career. Yeah, at all. It didn't like, hurt any, everyone became even bigger stars after. And one of them is the second highest grossing movie of the year. Yes. Yes, this is, it's all fantastic. Some of the greatest moments in comic book, animation, video game, and folktale history. Uh, <laughs> shit all over our faces this week. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antiste. <laughs> in brightest day and blackest night, no movie shall escape my sight. I'm Diana Goodman. <laughs> it's me, Sarah, and after watching these movies, I am not a merry man. <laughs> uh, and again, we're not, we're not here to dump on um, your favorites. I find plenty to love about all these but they are objectively not well received by the zeitgeist even though some of them are well remembered we got to say right off the bat this episode is brought to you among other things uh adam foot and many other fine people at uh, patreon.com slash laser time adam's one of our executive producers we encourage you to join at the five dollar level you don't have to be an executive producer occasionally you get to tell us what to do get a ton of free content and uh we dig way deeper into the video games of this period because again we got something real big coming up if you thought something couldn't get bigger than Mario World, Street Fighter 2, the video game world next week will be rocked to its knees by a chili, do- chili dog-loving mascot. <gasps> um, yeah, you know what I'm talking Jaleel about. White? <laughs> he'll, he'll come later on, but uh, patreon.com slash laser time. Support the things you love so the people you like can continue making them, right? I, I know no one necessarily loves the kids on Captain Planet. They love Captain Planet. So, uh, but... You got to support the kids in order to get your Captain Planet, which is the Laser Time Network shows. Bad analogy, wasting time. Thirty twenty ten. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> June June eleventh through seventeenth. We got some great stuff to talk about in here in nineteen ninety one. In, in one mega notable movie, might be the highest grossing of all the alleged misfires on 
on the list probably by a lot like yeah. i said there's there's only one movie stopping it from being the number one movie of the year of 1991 yeah. In 1991, and the other movie we get to talk about in like a month, and it's so gigantic that it's like, well, duh. (laughs) (laughs) I I did look at that this week. Um, In 1991, of the top 10 grossing movies of 1991, today we will be talking about our second. We're halfway through the year, and there are still eight more, 80% of the movies in the top 10 to go. So it's going to get interesting. But uh, a little bit of news to remind you what year it is, 1991, June 11th through the 17th. This is... (laughs) This is not a very, very 1991 news story. At first, the body of the 12th president, <laughs> Zachary Taylor, uh, U.S. president, is exhumed to test how he died. Because die, Help me out here. There are rumors yeah. that he was poisoned? Yeah. Like, right after he died in 1850, there had been rumors that he died of arsenic poisoning. Just because he, he, he died rather suddenly, and mm-hmm. there was, like, all kinds of suspicions and stuff. Now, where and, was... Uh, Putin's great great grandfather. <laughs> it's shame it happened to Zachary Taylor. <laughs> great great, maybe great great great. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not good at math. No, but they tested him and they found nope, no arsenic in him, which uh, it sticks around in the hair and the fingernails. So there was stuff to test. His death, so. by the way, was in 1850. Yeah, 18, which I think my terrible knowledge of history does that predate cowboy times? Holy lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's kind of cowboy times. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. I really like though judging all of history as pre cowboy or yeah. post cowboy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that's all a, a little uh, late stage boomer millennial kid has to go on. By the way, cowboy times at the same time as Victorian times. That is, I you'd never think mm-hmm. of them like that. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Huh. There's a lot of overlap there. Sure. Okay. Yeah, especially in movies of the 1940s. But uh, <laughs> but my uh, my favorite news story, and I couldn't pinpoint the exact date, and I tried, I did try a little bit. Pablo Escobar surrenders to Colombian police on right. several conditions that he can't be extradited to the U.S. And in, if Narcos is to be believed, he'll surrender to a prison that he himself will pay to build, uh, La Catedral, which he does with a. With a soccer field and jacuzzi and pool tables. And guess what? He will continue to conduct business with his friends through this palatial prison he built for himself. There's like a zoo there too, <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. He basically says, um, I can go on house arrest, right? Also, mm-hmm. my house is like five acres mm-hmm. and has all this crazy shit. And I'm just going to keep doing business as usual until eventually they're like, oh, we're all right. We're going to move you to a real jail. And then he escapes. Yeah. <laughs> like, nah, escapes from the jail. That's not a jail that he designed. I, I, we were, we were having a very serious discussion on the merits of Netflix. And I was like, kind of at a loss, like what is unmissable Netflix stuff? And this made me think like that Narcos series was really fun. The first yeah. two seasons. And I, and uh, I cannot wait to watch more. I think you should leave. It's back, baby. Trailer arrived. Oh. Day we're recording this, so I'm a little excited. But so let's move into the movies of 1991, June 11th through the 17th. Oh, does it get better? Any better than Kickboxer Two: The Road Back? <laughs> the Road Back. <laughs> um, Sasha Mitchell, Peter Boyle, uh, and Dennis. Ch- Peter Boyle. Uh, yeah, Peter Boyle's in a couple of these. Um, yeah, this is annoying because Kickboxer One was about Jean Claude Van Damme and his mm-hmm. brother. And this one, they are just, it's stipulated that they're dead. And this is another brother. And now he's going to get revenge. And then like seven movies into this series, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's not dead anymore. I think that speaks to the power of Jean-Claude Van Damme. I think he set up so many franchises he wasn't involved with. He is like the Spielberg of action stars. 
There's blood sports sequels and Universal Soldiers pre- sequels, and mm-hmm. he is not involved in any of them. I don't yep. know how you get John Lennon's best man involved in all this, but Peter Boyle is a fascinating man, uh, and I encourage you yeah. to read more about him. He was just <laughs> taking work for most, most of the <laughs> 80s. He's just taking whatever. And just uh, waiting for that Everybody yeah. Loves Raymond paycheck to yep. come in. I don't blame him, though, but uh, it was interesting. This is written by David S. Goyer, who will be talking about yes. 20 years after the fact. Oh, man. Uh, I love when that happens. Love, hate like that you guy. see some, someone starting out on something crappy, and then you're like, oh, then he, right. <laughs> he became a thing. Forgot. Man, but they're not, wow, I can't believe there's so little in the way of the biggest movie of the week in 1991. And yeah, I, I, I had my little face rocked by at least the marketing of this. Oh. I, I remember being a little disappointed walking out, but I've seen it several times, and only recently I was back for the holidays, and my sister had her like tonsils taken out as an adult and commandeered my parents. One of my favorite things was coming home for my use my parents' television because they had all the cable channels that I had been denied ten years, and she watched this movie, and it felt like it was on. I got to watch the sun rise and set while this movie was on. <laughs> uh, it's a long one. I forgot. It's like two hours twenty. Yeah, Christian Slater, Alan Rickman. Possibly my favorite person who should be a soup, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Uh, it just sounds like a good soup. It really does. Uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, Kevin of Costner. Uh, and number one at the box office this week, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It was a time of tyrants. A time when the only way to uphold justice was to break the law. A time that made a hero into a legend. Kevin Costner is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Rated PG-13. A gritty Robin Hood reboot for the 90s, and oof. But is it gritty? No, everyone's just dirty. It's filthy and uh, (laughs) sullen to look at, but but it is comparatively, other than the Ridley Scott Russell Crowe one, mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. pretty fucking violent. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it is it is pretty violent. Um and and that's the that's the only reason I'd call it gritty, because I think the the screenwriters approached it like that on purpose. Robin Hood is a public domain character and multiple studios had Robin Hoods in production. So the approach they decided to take was a schoolboy radicalized into fighting against usurpers rather than like the errol flynn version which had been around forever like ha ha you scamps i will cut a mustache out of your beard and then uh take your trousers down and remove your money like no this this guy is like kind of a terrorist (laughs) yeah well they say three or four times different characters come up to him in this and say like i remember when you were just a spoiled rich boy and now here you are helping the people it's like all right thank you for explaining the theme i i gotcha (laughs) So I rewatched this. Me too. I didn't have I, I, not fond the whole memories. thing. I didn't have fond memories. I, I, I yeah. I mean, this is yeah. This movie was fucking huge. Mm-hmm. You know, cost about eh, fifty million dollars. Made about eh, four hundred million dollars. Wow. Uh, a lot of repeat business. People went back. But I mean, some of it is like we've not had like this kind of adventure stuff for a while, and I feel like yeah. that's going to be another theme of this episode. Is a lot of. Old-fashioned adventure-type movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think some of it has to do with what we're going to talk about in Classic Corner later. Mm. But we haven't had old-fashioned adventure. and No buckles have been swashed in a while. No. <laughs> no one's swinging from ropes. No one's going, have at you. <laughs> and so we get a bunch of that, plus they you know, make it 
quote unquote realistic and that everything is drab, but also like there's magic and Satanism. <laughs> Forgot about that shit. So did what? I. Oh, I, I, I find this, I don't know. Keep going, Dyke. No, I mean, it took, so it was weird rewatching it. Uh, a bunch of things stood out. The big thing was the accent that came up mm. a lot. And that Kevin Costner can't do a British accent. And this time I finally noticed, like, he's not even trying. He's just no. American. Well, evidently, I mean, he wanted to do one and the director argued against it, saying it's not important. I don't think you can do this this well. Just don't. It'll be mm-hmm. fine. So you can, depending on where you are in the movie, you can watch him lose the accent. As, yeah, as the movie it goes comes on. With, he sort of like pronounces things properly, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. Sure. Yeah, he's not even trying. The shortcut. It's, a, the, it's the same thing watching the first accent. Star Wars. You get to watch Carrie Fisher lose her British accent as she goes. <laughs> and I, I swear, yeah. he, he, but apparently even, it wasn't because of him. They don't even do the uh, Hunt for Red October mm. like move of like <laughs> explaining why someone sounds different than how you would think they would sound, which they yeah. should have just done that. Or. Or do like what they would do in Roman epics where it's like all the fancy people have British accents, but like the poor people have American accents, but all the poor people have British accents, including Christian Slater trying for some reason. (laughs) Even Christian Slater is trying. Really rough. (laughs) Rough job, man. And Mary Elizabeth Mastertonio, like sometimes (laughs) it's like she's doing an accent, but like a two instead of an eight. Mm-hmm. I, I think but this movie is, is a, forever to get going. Once yes. it gets going, it is actually pretty fun. But it takes like almost an, almost hour, an hour. Yeah. I think to it's to get to the Robin Hood egg. I think it's mostly objectively terrible, but it also has objectively the my, the, my favorite performance from Alan Rickman in history. It, it, it is is Very intense. like the yeah, the redeeming quality of this movie. The only reason I have to recommend it, because yeah. Alan Rickman <laughs> fucking Kills. Go in get this, movie. this Robin so Hood. Great. <laughs> he's doing everything you want him to be doing, like, but l- much louder and yeah. not cool. He is like it, it, Hans Gruber, Snape. Not they're all like cool. sedate. He's screaming. I can't even do this impression of Alan Rickman because he's, he's so like loud, darting around, rushing around everywhere. Like, he, it's not a character we're kind of used. He's frantic basically mm. all the time. Like. It's very strange, but his hair looks beautiful. Yeah, because my, my, <laughs> my impression of Robin Hood is like solely built around the Disney one, which yeah. is pretty famous for ripping off the Errol Flynn version. But like Prince John is the mega villain in that one. And the Sheriff yeah. of Nottingham is no one to be feared. And I was just totally <laughs> taken aback when I saw this as a kid. Like, shit, the Sheriff of Nottingham is fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah. they don't even bother with Prince John. He's yeah. not in it. They just kind of combine Prince John and the Sheriff. Like, this is all about yeah. his power grab. And if any of you are and paying like, attention to the show... Power grab of what? You're a Sheriff. Yeah. You're talking about, like, we're gonna go bribe the Barons. Like, yeah, the Barons who are, like, way above you in the power scheme. So... What what do you hope to accomplish here? If, like they if, could just kill you. Yes, people, they could kill him. If, if, if people if people are paying attention to the show, we talked about Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe's Robin Hood that began life as a Robin Hood story told from the perspective of Sheriff Not- Sheriff of Nottingham, supposed to be played by Russell Crowe, and then they got cold feet and backed off mm. and like made a traditional Robin Hood movie. Now do you see why that's so disappointing? Russell Crowe is a manic Sheriff of Nottingham. And that would be, that's the, I don't want to see another straightforward approach to Robin Hood. We have no. plenty. We're good. I don't even want to see. I just, that's cool it for a little bit because we yeah. just had one with Jamie Foxx. It's, yes, another terrible like, bomb. We just 
cool it on the Robin Hood. I feel like Robin Hood. <laughs> Thanks, um, Mom. I feel like we haven't had a successful, a truly successful one besides the Disney cartoon and mm-hmm. that one episode of Star Trek TNG. <laughs> that's, that's the only Robin Hood that I will recognize. You can you can mask it in other things. There's still like uh, what's that young teen movie that's basically Robin Hood in the '80s? Um, not Billy Jean King, but like oh, Legend of Billy Jean. Again? No, no, we just I, talked I, about them. Not not that. I think that's why it was fresh in my memory. You can theme it oh. with other things, and it's nice that this movie, I think, unlike a lot of other Robin Hoods, like really takes place in the the backdrop it's supposed to. And I had to look yeah. this up for the like the sixteenth time just to prove it to myself. It, Robin Hood is not a real person. Yeah. Never was. <laughs> uh, never existed. He's as real as Dracula, based on a yeah. bunch of different folk tales combined into one. And it's nope. it's funny too because I think people probably going into this movie would more associate a Christian Slater type yeah. as with being Robin Hood, like this kind of mischievous, kind of fun guy who's like jokey. Pulling and and not the extremely self serious. A pox kind of on the phony king of England. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yeah, he he did seem like more anti-establishment than mm-hmm. Kevin Costner. Who's yeah? I mean, he perks up, like like I said, like once it gets moving and he starts doing like Robin Hood shit, then it's like, oh, okay, I see it. He looks like he's having a good time. He's doing the right thing. That's nice. He doesn't plan super well. Like he seems really really surprised that opposing army figures out oh those guys are in a treehouse maybe we should shoot fire outos at them <laughs> and he's like oh my god no one could have foreseen that <laughs> yeah also i have to complain that the movie opens with the bayou tapestry which is about 150 years off so <laughs> I, I, I did see war. this speaking of concepts of time it opens up it's like 800 years ago i'm like this it must be 900 now because uh, all this, <laughs> this all feels so old. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like 1,200. About 1,200. And at the, at the time, Morgan Freeman's performance uh, won some accolades from people, but I think that was just because we hadn't seen Morgan Freeman in a role this mm. big in a big studio action movie, whereas now mm. you almost can't have a studio action movie unless Morgan Freeman's in there for at least 30 minutes. True. And, uh, <laughs> so it, it was just not a shock anymore. Alan Rickman was the one that really like blew me away, just because yeah. he, he never plays anything this loud. Um, I have I have to say the one scene that actually truly made me laugh out loud was when Morgan Freeman constructs the the um telescope. Yes. And mm-hmm. Robin Hood Kevin Costner is so confused by it. He's like, "What is this?" He like kind of du- he looks and he sees people coming up close and then he ducks like he's seeing that movie of the train coming at you for the first from- time. Yeah. <laughs> That truly made me laugh. <laughs> like, well, and that that is what a also weird thing to put in here. The, the the movie is colored by the presence of Kevin Costner because this is the beginning of, at the very least, his mega stardom. Which I think it's safe to say that's that's happening happening after Bodyguards happened, right? And Dances with no. Wolves. No. Oh, oh, Bodyguards. Dances with Wolves. Dances just... with Wolves is the last thing he did. Okay. Yeah, so obviously that. that's. A huge hit. It wins Best Picture. He wins Best Director. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the world is his oyster. He can do whatever he wants. And what he does is uh, something for the money. What, uh, well, well, before that, he had Field of Dreams and Bull Durham. Yeah. So, uh, he's on a roll. Yeah. But this, like, I swear, if you watch this movie with Waterworld and the Postman, you could consider them part of the same trilogy. He plays the same <laughs> character with the same hair. Uh, who looks like Rick Mayle from Drop Dead Fred most of the time. <laughs> it's, and does the same voice and does the same things. Yeah. I think he's a, he was 
one of our most boring movie stars. But Truly. my mom loved him, and he yeah. did make some fun stuff. And well, he's got a cute buns. He does show his butt. I, I remember think that's what moms like about him the most is his buns. Showing off his buns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't happening a lot. I remember noting that on the schoolyard, and I got teased for being gay. But like, mm-hmm. hey guys, I haven't seen many butts in movies, and for some reason, <laughs> I always do in a Kevin Costner movie. <laughs> I'm making. Like, an, wait a minute. I'm making that's astute not- observation. That butt is way less hairy than a man's butt is supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, the only concept I have is I old assume Papa the Antista household. Yeah, the fucking baby gorilla who raised me. Uh, but, but this movie is, yeah, I don't mean to say that it's all bad. It is just like not objectively good. It it's is so long. Yeah, it's, I, yeah I, I did appreciate realizing, oh, the music is doing a lot of heavy lifting. That and music. that score gets used for a lot of trailers to it, this it, day. It, I think I the first version of Ace Ventura I had on VHS, that just got used for Morgan Creek Productions, which was a small production mm-hmm. company that kind of made a ton of money banking big on Kevin Costner and Robin Hood. My favorite piece of trivia and i know i've told this out on podcasts before but i love doing it because in my opinion disney's robin hood is the greatest of all time diana i i know i'll give you your time uh but but (laughs) that rips off errol flynn's robin hood pretty significantly uh but disney would have its revenge on prince of thieves for people a little younger than my co-hosts if you were still buying disney home videos in the 2008s disney just stole this song and made it the theme song to its home video line, you will hear in the opening of this clip of Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp, and Bobby Driscoll's Peter Pan. We have our heading. Here we go! From the magic within our hearts. Nemo. Avenger. Beyond the horizon. They just, for like 10 years, Disney used a... A different Robin Hood's music to promote Robin Hood. Their own, which, which, by the crazy. way, no matter what you think of Errol Flynn's, has the best music of any Robin Hood. It's- oh my god, that is crazy! That like, because that just reached deep into my memory banks. Yeah. I mean, my sister is much younger than me, so we had tons of these Disney movies on DVD and home video, and so yes, here holy we go. Crap. Yes. Here we go from <laughs> Peter Pan, and then you get the. The, the Warner Brothers Robin Hood theme song. It is so bizarre. That is I mean, really weird. Although, or if we are going to put that for ubiquity of theme songs, I mean, do we really want to put up against, what is that, Odelay? Which became the crazy frog. Yes. If you didn't hear a previous show, that was originally Disney's Robin Hood's opening song. Also blew my mind. Yeah. And I knew that somehow, but like just stating it like Disney won a lawsuit. I'm like, oh, yeah, that seems fair. <laughs> that seems fair. Even though none of it's yeah. fair because it's all a public domain character who never existed. Go make your own Robin Hood movie. Quit making Star Wars and Star Trek parodies. Make a Robin Hood movie. Set it in the modern day. You know how funny it would be to see a heist on Jeff Bezos? Hilarious. Everybody hey. wants to see that. There's, we don't want to see it against a fictional tyrannical king. We have our yeah. own tyrannical kings to worry about. Yeah, I was going to put it to you, what is your favorite Robin Hood? But I feel like you're both going to say Disney, aren't you? But I'm, I just, I've only seen, yeah. you, you tell me more about Errol Flint and Friends Robin Hood. Well, it's interesting this all came together because uh, J.R. Rawls, who asks all the questions on our Facebook group that we should be asking to prompt discussion, yes. <laughs> uh, he, he sent me a message on uh, Twitter a little while ago saying like, I'm watching Adventures of Robin Hood right now, 1938. What is, is this like, what is the oldest color movie that like you can just watch today and it's not because it's important or influential. You can just watch it and enjoy it. Like I thought it was wizard of Oz. I'm watching adventures of Robin hood from a year and a half earlier. And it's like, Holy shit. And I, 
really started digging through esoteric crap in my head and decided, I think that's true. I think this is the oldest movie. You could put a five-year-old in front of it right now, and yeah. you could put yourself in front of it right now. And Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn, and Olivia de Havilland, and Basil Rathbone. Like, it's got, it, it is super the template for the Disney one. It, mm-hmm. It's, that's just what they're doing. So, like, you know the story, you know the big beats you're going to hit. The Technicolor is freaking gorgeous. It's got an incredible score. And and it's just, like, the acting is fun. The sword fights are fucking awesome. And it's like, yeah, like, this this is the template, but it's not just watchable because it's recognizable. It's watchable mm-hmm. because, holy shit, the movie rules. Yeah, they're wearing tights and rhinestones and living in the woods. That doesn't make sense. Shut up. That character's <laughs> name is Will Scarlet. We're making a color movie here. He's wearing bright red. And I, I, I did have listed my possible second favorite Robin Hood movie is Men in Tights, which is really yeah, only feeding... It's only Just feeding on this. two movies. It's yeah. it's yeah. this and the original. I mean, some of the sets oh, yeah. in Men of Tights look like the Errol Flynn version. Like that, the yeah. castle set looks exactly the same. But uh, they're yeah. mostly making fun of this movie. And my sister and I love that Mel Brooks movie. Our introduction to Dave <laughs> Chappelle um, in that film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have to throw out one more. I was just going to save these for Classic Corner, but I got something big coming in Classic Corner. Robin and Marion from 1976. I feel like it's one that nobody freaking talks about, and it is great. Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it's about like an older Robin Hood coming back from the Crusades and kind of trying to get the band back together and realizing he's too old for this shit. And it's the closest you're going to get to that sheriff of nottingham movie because robert shaw quit from jaws god damn it is is the sheriff and he's i love how he plays it where it's just a mix of like oh we're doing this shit again oh my god no like i have a job (laughs) you don't even have a job robin hood you're such a pain in the ass god oh i guess i gotta chase you now okay all right i'm chasing you i'm so fucking sick of you i just want to kill you god damn it and it is so it's so interesting, it, and no one talks about it. I really, really like it. I, I remember reading about it. I totally forgot to track it down because, uh, as much as I love, I don't know, because I, I, I watch this a ton. And I'm if 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 you if you're if you're rusty on what this is, remember being a little kid in 1991. The first person arrow stuff was used so heavily yeah. in all the marketing, and, and for the rest of the year because this had action figures, oh, yeah. cool action figures, because you could like build them out in your trees and stuff. They look like little Ewoks, little white Ewoks. (laughs) You can can make your own little uh, Endor uh, with nets and stuff. Cool action figures. The first person arrow sequences at the time, we in a non-CG world, we thought they were the coolest thing we'd ever seen. It's all kids were talking about. Also, I mean, we also can't end this discussion without talking about the soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, not oh. just the score, but the soundtrack is yes. a monster. <laughs> it's something like the 11th most popular single of all time. Uh, I totally get it. I mean, how yeah. many people had their first dance to one of the two songs that's that are from this movie? What are, what's the other one? Wait, what am I missing? Isn't it All For You? Oh, no, that's Three Musketeers. That's three Musketeers. Oops, no. Sorry. Uh, sorry. But everything I do, I do it for you. I mean, I, I would I, love I, to know how many people had their first dance to that because I bet it's extremely shockingly high number i sent sarah the family guy version which is a like three to four minute music video that occurs in the middle of family guy i'm like wait what is this imagery based on and i went looking for the real music video and it is just black and white footage of brian adams singing the song on stage it is a seven minute video 
and it has like 400,000 million views. <laughs> oh, I don't think you can overstate how horny people were for Brian Adams at this point. Like, yep. he, I, I, as like a small child, was like, this is a very handsome man and has a very beautiful voice. Like, I thought I was going to have my first dance. To I would song. do the summer of 69 <laughs> with him. <laughs> my first. Look, y'all, the first CD, the first two CDs that I bought for myself was Brian Adams MTV Unplugged. Nice. And Don Henry's right. greatest hits. <laughs> you are a 50 year old man. Yeah, what is I it? I am. <laughs> I am a 50 year old gay man. What, what, is with you, no, what is with you and your raspy blondes? I love them. Yeah. I love raspy I love you the just raspy. Got for, you like the floppy hair. I understand. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, that, this this movie was was absolutely huge, and I think because it, it was PG, even though like there's certain moments in here that are like, oh, mm. that's a little that's a little intense. Um, oh, mm. things get rapey, like yeah. not just once. Yes, <laughs> yeah, a couple times. I was kind, I was pretty taken aback by this, and honestly, yeah. I'm also not gonna lie, I fell asleep watching this with Sam, mm. and I woke up yeah. to the rapey scene where. The sure. sheriff is trying to marry Maid Marion and then do it really fast so he can impregnate her. And... Say the vows. Ooh, <laughs> that part yeah. really disturbed me. Like waking up to that, <sighs> did not love. Yeah. Although eh, there's another time where, I mean, <laughs> he's not forcing himself on anyone, but it is one of the biggest laughs in the movie of just getting pissed off walking down a down a hallway it's just he's always striding angrily everywhere he sees two women he's like uh, you my room 10 30 you 10 45 bring a friend <laughs> 15 minutes <laughs> it's so random i don't know why it's oh, there but, the I like- but i get since this is a warner brothers movie this aired on hbo and i would say endlessly i remember there was like 10 mm. years in between us having it in our house and this was always on every afternoon <laughs> With like with decades apart, like this, if you had HBO, you've seen this a thousand times. And again, that that makes it beloved by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I encourage yeah. you to watch other Robin Hood movies and other Kevin Costner movies and realize it is pretty terrible, despite being fun at <laughs> certain points. Uh, yeah. But it's of, of all what I consider a, a show full of misfires. It is the it may be the least bad misfire, at least the most successful misfire. Um, yeah, certainly. It, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that that is our only movie to talk about. I know we're we talked about it for a while, but like Jesus, TV doesn't make me very happy. It, you know what? Fine, it should because I'm about in a n- number of different ways about to start talking about Space Jam and other podcasts, mm. and I've come around to because I was not immune to the light of Michael Jordan uh, around this period, and the Chicago Bulls this week beat the Lakers. Which was a huge deal. And with MVP Michael Jordan, I was there for all Jordan's hype. And my criticism of Space Jam is always that it's a Michael Jordan movie, not a Looney Tunes movie. And it is. But it's also one of the weirdest Michael Jordan movies that starts with him (laughs) playing bass. It's so fucking weird. And I can't Mm -hmm. pretend I don't have an anchor in that as well growing up here. Because this was very exciting. The John Tesk music. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, but the MVP declared finally Michael Jordan. This is his first MVP. We might not know. I don't think so, actually, but we are in the absolute fucking heyday of Michael yes. Jordan, where it's just like, it is so rare, where it's like, okay, this guy's the best player there is. You know what? He might be the best player ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we just, do your best, guys. Just try <laughs> try to deal with him. Yep. Yeah. it. He, Michael Jordan holds a very special place in my heart, because my Mimi was obsessed with him. So she <laughs> was very into collecting basketball cards, 
loved Michael Jordan, had a cardboard stand-up of him in her living room and kind of the way grandmothers do, was like, your, brought me into that. Was your Grammy Kevin <laughs> McAllister trying to <laughs> ward in away? In many ways, I think so. Um, you know, if you also smoked a lot and was very Irish. But, um, but yeah, I so I had all the Michael Jordan merch too i had the wheaties boxes like yeah. flattened and put in the, like the collector's sleeve i had rare air the coffee table book i had bottles of the cologne like my mimi like fully inducted me into this love right. of michael jordan so i'll <laughs> always remember him fondly i always that. say i'm not into sports but i sort of was as a little kid and i was at least in the michael jordan it was really cool to, like no this guy's just awesome and if you turn on the tv and he's doing something it'll be awesome and you can like you don't yeah. have to be a, a scholar of the sport to notice it's interesting I mean, when was the last time that we've had like a sports star that the whole nation kind of coalesced around and just wanted to watch? Like it's been, I can't, honestly, I can't even really think of the last person except for, you know, we do get like excitement around people like Simone Biles. I see people posting for new people, Olympian type stuff, definitely. But as far as like regional teams, you just don't see it that much anymore. Nope. I feel like LeBron is is an appropriate choice for 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 Space Jam. uh, (laughs) Oh, definitely Space Jam because, yeah. Yeah. And on a side note, too, I I have to say, after this long, weird, horrible, horrible, horrible year, I'm kind of excited to, like, watch some sports again. I don't know if anyone else is feeling that way because I generally don't feel that way. I think I'm just, like, ready to, like, see something communal. This isn't Mm. this isn't maybe the best podcast for it, but you're right. And my dad was telling me that, like, a lot of things people might not might not have known we lost during the pandemic was like those. um minor league teams uh not necessarily the minor league teams uh, yeah. but like some of the yeah. regional places that the big teams own that farm better players and uh mm-hmm. if you don't know the joy of seeing not even a good minor league team but a 30 all the, all the beer you can drink and all the hot dogs you can eat 30 dollar price tag to watch baseball which by the way every inning is interrupted with like inflatable sumo wrestling and fireworks it's yeah. it's better than regular baseball i would much rather do that it takes forever yeah. to get a beer but it is all you can drink for 30 dollars. it is wonderful <laughs> i would do it again if we we have to find the closest one get a hotel yeah. and get as there's one in pensacola oh, the blue wahoos let's do it yeah. because yeah that sounds very I, sensitive i can't I, wait <laughs> I, can't. I am ready to see a sporting event it's been years since i've felt that sentiment but yeah i think it's just i'm ready for like you should have a been me, with me experience. this weekend at the one of the first <laughs> esports live. Five hundred people playing Smash Brothers in the. Mm. <laughs> it, it, I, it's just a surreal thing to see, like after fourteen months in a bunker. But mm. sorry, that's I'll talk about that more in Video Game Apocalypse. Nineteen ninety one, still in television technically, but they uh, CBS is also airing a special. It, so. Both of the things we're going to talk about in TV here tie back to things that were going on this week. In a, so we're talking about Robin Hood, and then the other thing we're going to talk about ties back to Escobar, I think. But oh, wow. there's CBS special Robin Hood, the myth, the man, the movie. The movie. And it's basically a behind-the-scenes making of, which is really cool. And I kind of also miss seeing these sorts of, like, first-look HBO, like, behind-the-scenes sort of thing. And I wonder how many of specials like this, because they they have popped up before. You know, we don't Mm -hmm. always talk about them. But Mm -hmm. inspired 
kids to become filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, how often in a pre-internet age did you get to see on your television on a regular basis? Like, this is what a cameraman looks like. This is the person who holds the boom mic. Like, yeah, mine, mine, mine should have been inspiring. Mine should have been Star Wars, but I remember very vividly it was being five and Temple of Doom coming out, and then like I see the movie, and then I see like there's a guy on the ceiling on a little roller coaster attached to a camera. <laughs> filming yeah. in a roller coaster and then i got like goosebumps like that's how they oh my god and <laughs> yeah. i just became obsessed with filmmaking ever since and yeah this sort of has disappeared into the i don't think it's as palatable on the internet i, I think like sort yeah. of that's what podcasts have replaced they you, yeah. it's fine to hear people talk about their experience making a movie but you don't see a lot of intense behind the scenes features mostly because it's green screening i was gonna say a lot of that too <laughs> i think probably is because we don't have as many practical effects but anyways i pulled a little yeah. clip from the opening awesome. remarks by a very famous narrator who oh, i want you to listen closely to see if you can detect the seething rage in his voice that he's not the robin hood in this movie Ooh. good evening i'm pierce brosman <laughs> He is a legend that goes by many names. The Earl of Huntington, Robin of Loxley, Robert Fitzsooth, and Robert Hood. But to centuries of storytellers, he is simply Robin Hood. Wow, what? <laughs> what? This uh, man is angry. I guess, yeah, I guess he's... Is he, is he just Remington Steel guy at this point? Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been in some movies here and there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's three years away from Mrs. Doubtfire. Wait, you've even further I away mean, from Bond. You've got to imagine this guy. People are watching this like, why wasn't this guy playing Robin this Hood? Guy. He's yeah. handsome. He's debonair. He speaks with the proper accent he's for speaking. it. But how well, does... he can. Technically, he's Irish. Well, he can. But he's I doing better he's than Kevin Costner. He's he... doing so much better than Kevin Costner. But how will he look dressed up like a bird to win an archery contest? I mean, that's fair. You know, now you know, yes. Reaffirming my favorite Robin Hood. That's a good point. And then, uh, like, four days later on uh, a different channel, the TV movie Seeds of Tragedy. <laughs> yes. I well, hope this is look- a retelling, uh, like a grim retelling of uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh. And- <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. The promo will tell you everything you need to know. Okay. In the jungle, it promised survival. At the border, it promised riches. On the streets, it promised escape. But the only thing cocaine delivered was the need for more. Seeds of Tragedy, the story of cocaine from start to finish. A world premiere, Monday on Fox. On Fox, that's the way. Yes, a Fox. Interesting. Yeah. So what, they're, they're like following a coca plant cradle it's processing? <laughs> cradle to upon some stripper's tits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. It's from just... seed to glass coffee table. Seeds of tragedy. <laughs> From seeds to executive boardrooms and wrestling booking meetings of all the <laughs> entire 1980s. Cocaine brought us the entire 80s, so like, I'm not mad at it. In fact, yeah. I encourage everyone out there to try it. Now, I'm just trying to say something no. controversial. Because moving into games, you don't have a lot. But it's like, there's a lot of little stuff we'll talk about more on our Patreon edition, patreon.com slash lasertime. But right now, most of us are digging Street Fighter 2 in arcades and Super Mario 3 in our Nintendos. But Sega is going to do something really big next week, as I've already teased. And I just love love teasing something like that because it really changes the entire dynamic of video games. Let's move into music, though, of 1991 because there are some new releases to talk about, such as Funky Funky it's Wisdom by Cool Mo D, uh, Love Hurts by Cher, Leonard Skinner's uh, 1991, 1991, what's it called? It's called Leonard Skinner 1991. Oh, okay. And it's their first studio album since the 77 plane crash that killed their lead singer and guitarist. I'm, I am yeah, I'm assuming they've been touring the whole time, but I guess it... 
thought it was kind of uh, enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they weren't releasing new stuff. There was they were releasing old live albums and stuff, right. you know, because y- you need that 48 minute version of Freebird. It's the better version. <laughs> Unforgettable with Love by Natalie Cole. Natalie Cole. Massive fucking hit. Oh, my um, God. That song was unescapable. Warm Your Heart by Aaron Neville and a monster comeback from Van Halen for unlawful carnal knowledge. Uh, yeah. Not the first yeah. Van Hagar album. I thought it was, but mm-hmm. it's not. But this was huge and it is a fucking good album i have this is this the right now one yep okay we're gonna close out with that but also has pound cake where eddie van halen is playing a guitar with a power drill (laughs) it's fucking cool man it Uh, is a fucking good album but i mean does it slap as hard as everybody plays the fool by aaron neville because that's what was playing in my household Uh, what was I remember what was playing by the pool at my friend Charlie's house was what we're closing out with. Paul Abdul. His dad was huge in the Paul Abdul and Rush Rush uh, is number one this week and we're going to close out with that. With that video too. The, <laughs> the shot for shot remake of Rebel Without a Cause starring Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Let's close out with that and we'll be right back after this short break. Folks, you know us here at the Laser Time Network. We consume a lot of content for quote-unquote research purposes. <laughs> From games to TV shows to movies, we're always online downloading something, streaming something. But there are times when it's nearly impossible to access a piece of content you want because it isn't available in the U.S. for whatever reason. Oh, those things like annoying licensing deals, geo-restricted servers, or platforms that are just not available in your location make it next to impossible to get your hands on the stuff you want. Hey, that's why we couldn't be happier that NordVPN is our sponsor today, and they provide an easy-to-use workaround for all these problems. With over 5,400 servers in 59 countries, they can always find a server to get us access to the game, shows, and movies. We need to do our job. It could not be any simpler to use either. With their AutoConnect feature, you can instantly access the fastest VPN solutions out there across a variety of devices, including PC, Android, iOS, Mac, and even more. Hey, maybe even Android TV. Just open a map, click on a location, and you'll be connected in seconds. It is that easy. Is there a game or movie or TV show not available in your country? It's not a problem anymore. Just change your virtual location for access to a variety of international storefronts. You can even do this to access different streaming platforms that may not be available in your home country. Talking to you, Canada. You can find discounts on games, lower streaming subscriptions, and even take advantage of international sales and pricing. So how do you get on this? Easy. Go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime or use the coupon code lasertime to get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. And hey, they even have a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you've got nothing to lose. Once again, go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime to use the code lasertime, one word, to get a two-year plan plus one additional month at a huge discount. Thank you, NordVPN. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. Tore my mind on a jagged sky And I just dropped in To see what condition my condition was in Lord, Lord, Lord What condition my condition was in Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2001 Which could be confusing because of the Willie Nelson But I assure you, is this Willie Nelson's cover album off of 
just dropped in, which I know from the Big Lebowski soundtrack, off his album Rainbow Connection, which yep. also sounds like a cover. Oh, he does a cover of it. It will bring you to tears. I've heard it. I, I, I just didn't, I didn't know it was 20 years old. I assumed it was 40 years old. We're, we're Willie Nelson stands around here. We need to appreciate him while we have him because no one sounds like him. And, Except his son. You know, towards... Towards, like, the end of his life, you know, uh, Johnny Cash was doing those, you know, Mm -hmm. American recordings where he was just covering everything. And they were like, Willie Nelson's been doing that for, like, 25 years. Mm -hmm. Where he'll just cover stuff. And because his voice is so different and his his style is different, that it just charms the shit out of me. And I just have to play it every time I find a good one. I secretly have him in my death pool every year. And he always makes it. He always makes it through. I'm I'm happy for it. Happy for it. Uh, welcome to 2001, June 11th through the 17th. Willie Nelson's dropping a new album, if you can believe it, and still with us. The Invisible Band by Travis, the self-titled fourth album by Sugar Ray is also out. Um, I read those together in accident. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket by Blink-182 wow. is out. <laughs> who could forget? Who who could forget, and I, I wish I could forget it, Talk Soup's John Henson appearing in a Blink-182 video in an episode of Talk Soup, even though he had just quit Talk Soup. What? Yes. John Henson had just left Talk Soup recently, but then mm-hmm. that song became really popular and he was in the video, and I'm guessing he shot that back when he was the host of Talk Soup. But they run through the set of Talk Soup, and you get, and I love John Henson on that show. I've never seen uh. anything I liked other than maybe Wipeout after that. Zoom by ELO. It's a, ELO, this is difficult to tell what decade it is. Yeah. And uh, But here we go. 2001 Origin of Symmetry by Muse. Ooh. That'll get you. That'll get you. To so good. Ooh, love this album. I <laughs> I believe Muse. Just because the the last time I wanted to pay to see a new band, they do hold like the most expensive show I've been to. Yeah. At, like eighty dollars for general admission. Thanks, San Francisco. But man, here we are. though, I mean, is it is it like corny to like Muse still, or uh, is it still great cool show? To like Muse. It was a great show, and it's I think it's a really good mid 2000s sound. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know live like he's he's got a touch sensor on his guitar so all the electronic effects are being done via the guitar live oh wow um, it, so that's interesting and then uh, Lady Marmalade by Christina Aguilera Lil Kim Maya and Pink is still number one that's me trying to get the exclamation point that is still in her name at this point mm. uh, <laughs> sounded more like a question mark Pink okay. or like my pink. stomach's being stepped on Pink 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 and then 2001 Timothy McVeigh is uh Executed by a poison. Yeah. Uh, he was 33. Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, blew up the federal building there, killing 168 people, including 19 children, because the daycare center uh, took the brunt of things. And that was America's worst uh, worst terrorist attack until the one that we'll talk about later this year for 2001. Oh um, yeah, he dropped all his appeals. He wanted to be executed. And they gave him what he wanted, which bugged Martyrdom. the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh, but, but then I think to... I don't remember. I don't know what his cause was because we didn't really talk. The news didn't go to the links to talk about what his issues were. Far right anti-government stuff. Yeah. He was really pissed off about Ruby Ridge, uh, as was popular at the time. He didn't like, oh, this fascist government is, you know, trying to take away our guns and freedoms. They haven't really gone into as much that he's associated with some like neo-Nazi groups. Like No. Yeah. With that haircut? No. I know. They. They don't. The the Venn diagram overlaps with a bunch of these folks. You but yeah, Waco it. and Ruby Ridge really pissed him off. Uh, he didn't like us going over, sending our military overseas to blow up people. Remember, he was on the highway of death in Iraq after the first Gulf War. Your your usual far right anti government stuff mostly. And nice. so he decided to uh, fill a truck bomb with fertilizer and blow up a federal building. Yeah. 
<laughs> Yay. Um, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Fuck that guy. Let's move but on. We have we plenty of trucks full of shit to talk about the rest of the show because <laughs> <laughs> movies this week are insane. Uh, movies of 2001, June 11th through 17th, Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India. Uh, yeah, this might be our highest, uh, our best reviewed movie for the week. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's an Indian movie that takes place in the past and is about cricket. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's actually, it's been a really long time since I've seen it, but I remember it being really charming and that it's about, you know, I mean, it's basically a sports movie following the sports movie tropes of like, you know, the small town group of, you know, ragtag teammates get together and they're like super overtaxed theme from Robin Hood and this like British Raj asshole is like well if you could beat us as cricket you don't have to pay all taxes anymore and they're like okay fine let's learn to play cricket and kick your ass oh snobs versus slobs situation yep yeah and it was like real it was like the most expensive movie and made in India ever and there's got like all kinds of huge crowd scenes and they're dancing and and it's it's got like a 95 percent on Rotten Tomatoes it's like it became a big international movie toward a lot of festivals and everyone was like that was so great no one else is gonna watch it except people who go to festivals meh Mm. Yeah, but yeah, Lagan Once Upon a Time in India is is really fun. That's included. Um, and then we have uh, talk about briefly is this is Kids in the Hall? Scott Thompson, Misha yeah, Barton, BG so. Phillips. Am I saying your name right? Uh, Brad Renfro, Refro, not Renfro. Dominic Swain, Tart, Tart. Yeah, this is weird in that it is similar to a movie we'll talk about in 2011. In that it's like a coming of age movie about teenagers who are in like a fancy prep school. They market it as being like sexy. Like the title is Tart. The poster is basically a Catholic schoolgirl upskirt at Dominique Swain. Mm-hmm. But it's really about like being a disaffected teenager and rebelling and then like getting in over your head and oh, bad things are happening and I don't know who I am. And oh no, I, I'm, I'm on a journey of self discovery that's very difficult. Ah. Have we already <laughs> talked about Lolita? Wasn't she? Yeah. Okay. So. Because she was Lolita in the Jeremy right. Irons Elite. I yeah. always thought that they kind of like based all this marketing kind of off of that. Like, let's just yeah, go with that situation, kinda. which kind of yeah. always grossed me out. Yeah. It's another one. It was like the reviews are sort of like, eh, your mileage may vary. It's like mm-hmm. some people thought like, oh, it's a good coming of age film. And pe- some other people were like, been there, done that. I don't care. Wow. Perhaps. Let's, let's get to the big head to head. Yeah. My, my favorite thing to talk about this week. Perhaps the most incredible cast of all time. <laughs> it's it's uh, a heck of a cast. It really is. Uh, I mean, just also because how they, they put a lot of voice actors front and center. Like Corey Burton and Chris Summer. The final role of Jim Ernest Varney. Jim Fraser's John Mahoney. James Garner. Don DeVello. And Michael J. Fox in Disney's Atlantis, The Lost Empire. This summer, it's Disney Adventure. Everybody grab a seat and buckle in. Disney Magic. This is for real. And Disney Fun. You do swim. Oh, I swim pretty girl. Pretty good. It's two thumbs up for Disney's Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Ready PG. Now playing. Now playing. Um, On Disney Plus. You can get it there. I tried and couldn't find my ultra expensive double disc. It's one of the most special feature laden discs Disney ever put out for a movie. Um, the two disc <laughs> for a movie that wasn't entirely it was successful let's say but again they're not reporting a lot of numbers they're like the budget the budget begins with 
people who are paid six figures in 1996. So it, I don't think that accounts for how much this movie truly, truly cost. No, when you throw in marketing, it, you should at least double your money, at least double your budget to start getting money back. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, um, I was a little shocked to look into a little deeper into the history of how the movie came about because I, I, I've always liked the story, the version of um, Disney kind of failing with its super family-friendly audience and wanting to do something to reach out to young men because young hmm. women were – little girls were perfectly content to see princess stuff. And that kind of became not an every gender thing for until – 10 years later when Disney found its legs again. Uh, but it, but it, it didn't work for a little while. And Disney, this is awesome. We have like this little period, just like the 70s, that brought us Robin Hood, that brings us movies like Atlantis, The Lost Empire. But it was, I think it was basically Disney hiring the Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback guys, Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise. And they said, no, we're sick of making musicals. So it wasn't so much that the public was sick of it. It's that they were. And they were Disney fans and wanted to make a movie, according to them, closer to live action Disney stuff, specifically 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, um, mm. which should have always been uh, Jules Verne stuff should have been a much better fit for Disney. They didn't have much success other than 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. But like if you go to the theme parks, like there's a place for that. And I think that's how they pitched it. We might not be able to sell soundtracks off of this, but we can theme all your cartoons go into fantasy land and we have this whole adventure land and tomorrow land. And what goes in there? You don't make movies that relate to other aspects of your park. So Disney kind of pulls out of the stops and starts designing aspects of their parks to reflect the movies they have in development. If you haven't been to animal kingdom, that countdown to extinction dinosaur ride is like one of the best rides there based oh, yeah. on one of their biggest failures. And it's, it's still and, uh, there and awesome. Tomorrowland in Disneyland Paris is super Jules Verne. Yes. It's it, all retro futurism, it, steampunk. It, it, and takes, it is so awesome. It has the blimp from City at the Top of the World, which you can see on Disney Plus as well. A big 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ripoff. If you go to Tokyo Disney Sea, there's a giant Jules Verne area with a multi-million dollar 20,000 Leagues area and a big roller coaster based off Journey to the Center of the Earth. This seemed like a good gamble is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But it, it is wholly bizarre. And ha having watched Titan AE last year, they're so fucking similar. And in <laughs> and, 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 and retrospect, it's because maybe because they're both written by Joss Whedon, at least early in early stages. Huh. And... Um, if you think, yeah, there's like this ensemble cast with witty repartee that all come around to their main character and abandoned the the eventually revealed bad guy at the end who was part of their crew. It, it's incredibly similar with uh, not very colorful, no musical numbers, and cartoon characters riding around on CG objects uh, among CG backgrounds. But there is just something I can't wrap my head around in Atlantis the Lost Empire. I do not love it at all. I love Titan A.E. Um, did anybody else get it? Has anybody else actually seen this? No, uh, uh -huh. Yeah, I I saw it a while ago and I watched little bits of it to sort of get the get the flavor back. And it's pretty good. I appreciate that they are doing very old timey adventure. Yes. Again, major theme for this episode. It is very old timey adventure. You know, Motley Crue. It's very steampunk. It's um, yeah, I don't know. There's just it's, not it's just kind of not memorable it just doesn't stick to you and i think it's a huge problem it had at the time mm -hmm. is it still up against shrek mm. shrek yeah. is still in the theaters and it's still eating its lunch and this is 
much more throwback. It feels more like an 80s movie. It's, you know, Which is so, the, the, a lot of the hand-drawn animation. And it's just, it, yeah. It's, it's it still weird. Be. Just because, like, as I, you know, mildly slammed Shrek for, it's an early CG movie. So it feels much smaller, even though it's technically mm-hmm. capable of something much bigger. This is way bigger. Set pieces that are huge, huge. A great performance by Leonard Nimoy as a person of color. I don't know if you could get away with today, but he had the, he had the voice for it. They made up an entire language for this film. Everything you read about it is grandiose and just, I think, Disney kind of being a little too cocky. That, like, mm. maybe this won't break the bank, but we'll make rides out of it, and then eventually this Atlantis will be a household name. We haven't released our movie yet. Why not plan a television series and a series of straight-to-video things to follow up on this story? Which they don't really. There's, I believe, the DVD you can find, My, Atlantis Milo Returns. Milo being Michael J. Fox's character who doesn't truly go anywhere that he can return from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's based on a TV show they had completely sketched out, but the, the box office receipts didn't merit moving forward with it. But I think it, hmm. Disney thinking it could get away with a lot more. I, I wish I could put my finger on what exactly doesn't work for me in the film. But if I, if I really yeah. had to, and it's just because, you know, I know Joss Whedon, I just watched Speed, and like he's not credited in that movie as writing it, but he, cle- he clearly did. Everybody hmm. on the bus sounds like a Joss Whedon character. <laughs> Whereas no one in this movie sounds like a Joss Whedon character, but you can see how he, he, I think he had the first draft of the script and even he said, so they probably, (laughs) they probably used the framework and screwed up. He he said there's nothing in in the script that he wrote, but I have to imagine this multicultural, multigender team of people who eventually turn face. That's, it's a very Joss Whedon thing to do. And I have to imagine he, he, put those bones down there because it's not something Disney really did at that point. And just the set pieces don't seem, but just don't seem big enough. It's really Hmm. weird as a fan of 2D animation. There's just, you got that beautiful sub they depart on that looks very Jules Verne. And I forget that like it's on the cover, but like that thing is exploded in the first like 10 minutes. It's gone. It's totally gone. (laughs) Uh, Michael J. Fox does a decent performance, but like, I don't know. There's just nothing very special about it. I feel like the casting is, very good. James Garner is the bad guy. Is one of my favorite things. Oh, yeah. Uh, favorite things there. Really great casting on that front. But kind of a, a dull story. If you know how animation works, there's a ton of stuff left on the cutting room floor. I believe the biggest problem Disney had with this was it had a much higher body count and a lot more gunplay. They, they do mm. brandish guns here, but no one really gets shot with anything. Apparently, that was not how it looked initially it just all and and i think part of that the cut you end up seeing feels very inconsequential and that no one's in any real danger because they didn't want to portray anybody uh dying even though there's a character (laughs) who just smokes the whole time if you didn't think 20 years ago felt quite old-timey enough that would never (laughs) ever happen again a character who's 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 uh, oh and one of the voices is don novello yeah father guido Uh, sarducci someone like even listeners of the show have Every right not to have heard of, but like pretty great <laughs> voice casting. Um, I really like the voice casting. I just don't like a lot of the dialogue. Yeah. And uh, if for an adventure, yeah. it's just not very adventurous. No. I feel like it's, I'm sure there's people out there that like discovered this later. Or they watched as little kids and they're like, this is an unrecognized gem. And it's like, there is a lot to like here. It just never sticks together for me. But it's like almost a recommend just because everyone's freaking forgotten about it. Yeah. I, I think there's a ton. There's not so- that it's bad it's just sort of eh. there's so much to appreciate and if i had to like the one thing i had to say at the end of the thesis it was made by the wrong studio warner brothers mm. uh fox 
every animated movie they've made, I think they they would have had a little more heart to make a real PG animated film that was a sweeping swashbuckling epic. Disney clearly got cold feet. And I would have liked to see what Don Bluth did with this. Yeah, yeah, like something like that. Something with like with stakes, with something to really lose, where the only person who dies isn't just the bad guy. I think it would have gotten a lot more mileage out of that. But again, if you if this is one of your favorite movies, one of my favorite things in the universe is especially animated movies that tend to take almost like like half a decade to get off the ground. I love it when people find a reason to love those. I'm not saying, I'm really not trying to shit on Atlantis. I was sort of out of the Disney minutia at this point anyway. They were not making films for me. I was, a tw- I was, I was, I just got, bought my first 12 pack of beer three months ago. So um, I'm not <laughs> the audience for this. And I would love anybody on the Facebook group or in the comments to send Atlantis some love because I think it's, it's worthy of it. It was definitely something different pitched by people who could have fallen on their laurels and made another musical starring white people in olden times. And they didn't, they did something incredibly different and it just didn't quite work. Speaking of things that I thought were surefire, <laughs> I, I, I would say one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> oh, I'll give it this. It's, there are very few places where you can definitely point to the sequel and be like the sequel improved things yeah there's like a handful of them like godfather 2 you can argue adam's family i always argue that one mm-hmm. Lara Croft sequel is so much better than this and i love it and the, it's still not very good the movie is technically titled laura croft <laughs> yes laura croft or colon... tomb raider sometimes it's just called tomb raider I'm, in, yeah, in, in other territories i, I I think that was a branding thing that the games, the games at this point, uh, where, did, where did they come out? 95? And they they come out annually. And eventually they, just, they start sticking the name Laura, like Laura Croft in Tomb Raider 3 just because she becomes like one of the most iconic video game characters, not only of the era of all time. It's just weird for the movie to be called that, uh, the Laura Croft movie. And like, that's not really how anybody refers to these things. But uh well- I mean, I think that's how you get more people in to see the movie. I, I, I feel like you get you so? more. Yeah, I think you get non-video game people maybe in. Totally. And, I, you know or, what? You I know, have, people have, going we... on dates when one partner's into video game and others aren't. I think you Makes sense. would probably get more people when you're like, hey, see, like, here's a lady. She's an adventurer instead of just Tomb Raider, which just sounds kind of like a zombie movie to me if you just <laughs> say those two words like by the themselves, you know? Uh, yeah, and, and, and to other credit, I know plenty of women just having a game character, period, to yeah. look up to and latch onto in this period was so fucking rare. Warts, whatever you have to say about Laura Croft and her body type, warts and all, kind of the only lady game character that existed. There weren't enough polygon textures. She, she she came out super basic origami in the beginning. That's why that's why her titties could literally blind you. you get hit in front of the eye. Ow! It's just stabbed. Angelina Jolie, John Voight, uh, Ian Glenn, and I. Baby. Baby Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig. Baby Daniel yeah. Craig. Mm-hmm. Before... He came on my screen. I was like, what? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah I... Before Road to Perdition, before Layer Cake. Yep. He, not not very known. Um, and his oh. accent is trash. <laughs> Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. It's number to the box office this week. If looks can kill, then Laura Croft is lethal. This is where I start to have fun. No. By land, by sea, by air, the biggest adventure of the summer is here. Can I save the universe? Absolutely. Angelina Jolie is Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, rated PG-13. Man, I'm, I was looking at the casting for Laura Croft. 
And oh man, every woman every in Hollywood. Woman. And I only, I <laughs> especially every brunette. Because <laughs> I, I just wonder in the back of my mind. Okay, I'm very curious because I think part of the reason this didn't become like a full fledged franchise because it made money was because it had Angelina Jolie attached because she was she had options she had, was doing much bigger things at the time but then I'm like Famke Jensen and especially Jennifer Lopez and especially Ooh. Denise Richards I would <laughs> Denise Richards <laughs> Any of those people are great choices yes I would Dang. I would kind of love to see what Denise because yeah she has movie star looks and like perfect person to, to put in is Laura Croft forever uh, but mm. we, we instead we get two of these things John DeBont's mm-hmm. last movie uh, Cradle of Life anyway you, like you I, think I don't think it's hmm. good casting though uh, Angela Jolie mean, like I just think she uh, she looks exactly like the character exactly like the character well there and, you go then and and she she also had like real like bona fide like she's a great actress she's beautiful and brings her dad along and that's a big yeah, part of the like, Tomb Raider yeah. series, uh, warts and all. Yeah, <laughs> John Voight is here, weird. and they, I don't think they'd acted together yet. And mm-hmm. and that was that was interesting. But you know, when I say the movie made its money back, it wasn't really in America. Like we're hearing a lot about that now, given how much money movies make in China and how willing China is to fund American films. But like this made so much money abroad, given all the places that Laura Croft goes, it is one of the biggest co- like global co-finance projects I've ever seen and way more so in the second one. Like mm. technically every other studio owns a piece of this and I think that made it a little complicated to get more off the ground. But I does anybody have anything redeeming to say about Laura Croft Tomb Raider? I just uh, I mean, again, I appreciate they're going for old fashioned action. Yeah. They they shoot in Angar Wat, which hadn't no one really made any movies there for a while, which mm. is really cool. It's, you know, something I'd always wanted to go visit. Uh the story is garbage. <laughs> it is really, 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 really extremely stupid because it's about this artifact that's got multiple pieces. Obviously, you got to go get the couple MacGuffins and put them together to make a super MacGuffin. And it has to happen while the planets align, which, you know, if you know anything about astronomy, that's garbage, too. And that, like she's trying to stop them from doing this. And there's like a couple times where it's like, well, you got the piece of the MacGuffin and they need all three pieces. So why don't you destroy it? Yeah. <laughs> Send it to the bottom of the ocean. Like take a take a yeah. skimmer out over the Marianas Trench. Tie a tie a fishing weight yeah. to it, and let's be. Or rid it's of like, this. oh no, the countdown has begun. We only have three more seconds to put the thing in the space uh, to during the alignment. And like, she gets her hands on it. It's like, hold on to it for three more seconds, then, and we're done here. No, because we need to have action. You have to put the thing in the doohickey guy, and that way the statues would come to life, and we can fight them. Yeah, no, so the plot is really stupid and it makes no sense. So that's a problem, but the actions are okay. <laughs> I mean, she has uh, one of those cool, like, jumpy things in her house that they have at the mall that little kids can, like, jump up and down and flip around on. The so bounce that's cool. castle? No, like, where you're, like, <laughs> oh, right, yes. around the waist with the two. Oh, yeah, I did two oh, flips in the thing those, one like, time. bungee things yeah. to fight with. Yeah, we got baby Daniel Craig in here. The bad guy is uh, Jorah Mormont from Game of Thrones. Always nice to see him pop up because he's been around for a million years. It's it's real it's real dumb. It's real dumb. <laughs> it's but the I feel like the cultural impact as far as Angelina Jolie's look in the mm-hmm. movie mm. is yeah. very far reaching. I mean, a decade later, almost a decade after this movie came out, in grad school had friends who dressed up like her for yep. Halloween. People who had never played this video game, I 100% guarantee you. Mm-hmm. So 
it, it's the look that like really I think there's probably people out there who don't even know that this was a video game at one point. That's honestly. entirely possible. <laughs> I think because Laura Croft managed to transcend that medium, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. She kind of just moved into like straight up cultural icon status. And I mean, how long had it been since we've really had, I mean, a real female action hero? Shit, I don't. Before this. Long kiss I mean, in the, the 80s, we had some great ones, but. I'm, I'm going to posit it's 10 years for that high grossing movie from 1991 that yeah, we're going to talk that's about. that's what I'm thinking too. But it, yeah, I mean, it's probably been a decade before we had someone, a woman who really looks like she's kicking ass on screen, you know? And that's mm-hmm. a big deal for a lot of people. Agreed. Yep. I, I mean, I'm sort of bummed that the, the series sputtered out the way it did because like there's, it's perfectly fine to launch with a, eh, that was okay, but it could have been better and like you should get the movie that's better after that and the series that keeps yeah. going and, and it bums me out that that didn't happen. With Tomb Raider. But it recently, I, didn't just a couple years ago we had we had another one, another, yeah, with Alicia Vikander, or yeah, whatever? which okay. which oh, is yeah. I hear is okay, but like even the the game series itself has done that; it's completely reinvented itself okay. and and rebooted, and that shit is modern day excellent. Really, like I grew up with the Tomb Raider series; I've played almost every mm-hmm. one, and they got really bad for a while. That's another thing. At this point, the game series is really bad. Um, oh. It had been really good for the first three entries, but again, it's kind of annualized. So it mm-hmm. is, it's is—it's in its very, very bad period. I think about to be retired for a little while. So that isn't good either. The audience of people, who, millions of, I would guess, most <laughs> mostly dudes, aren't playing the game anymore and aren't as interested in the character. And that probably hurt its performance as well. But I, I think it's a character that should not stop being adapted in other mediums. Um, yeah. and, and someday I'm going to check out that... Tia Carrera syndicated show she made that, it, it, and it's it's oh, called yeah. Tomb Raider. And like, if you're playing Mad, what is it, Relic Hunter? <laughs> yeah, what it's yeah, called. yeah. Uh, she's wearing the little shorts and everything. I remember when they were trying to make that Tomb Raider movie. I actually remember talking to people who were working on the script, and um, there's a lot of good things you can do with this character. I think they wanted to start out with the character a little too James Bondy, and both the game mm-hmm. and the new film take a survivalist like. No, this she's like MacGyver in the woods. She can oh. craft shit. She's not she's not stacked with the greatest gadget. She's just like she's just stacked. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can't argue with that. That yeah, I, I, I had high hopes for this and, and I didn't rewatch it for this because I thought twice was enough. I just felt this is really dull. Just a dull, dull yeah. movie. Yep. It's just dumb. Um, yeah. When it's not dull, it's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. But I think it's pretty fair. If you're going to be dull, you might as well be smart about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, Fast and the Furious is dumb, but it's not dull. Yeah. It's, right. It's, it's, you either it's... have to be dumb and exciting or dull and smart. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, you got to be Tree of Life or Fast and Furious. Like, <laughs> There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. <laughs> the two genders. <laughs> I don't know how to get into this. NBC has created a lot of pieces of shit uh, via their reality shows. Dumb. Um, <laughs> so dumb. I should say, I, I don't hate Joe Rogan as much as I probably should because I've seen him be funny. But this is the show that you've seen him have funny writers. So let's maybe see no, that. I've seen him. I've seen him do funny stand up, and I think he gets too much attention. Because he started a podcast back when no one did it. He was doing it with video, had Mm -hmm. famous friends come on before anybody was doing it, and gained an audience very, very early, thus getting him better guests, more promotion, and put a bigger spotlight than you probably should on a guy who's like admittedly not 
I'm not trying to, like, I don't think he's trying to like, uh, change the zeitgeist, uh, change the conversation of the, the zeitgeist, but uh, he's, he is in that position and he's in that position yeah. now because think, he had fear factor money. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think his big problem is he has the memory of a goldfish and he yes. believes whatever anyone tells him yes. at all times. And so he platforms people who are horrible. And instead of challenging them, he goes, Oh, wow. There you go. That's, and that's, I was doing an impression at a friend's house recently. It's I, when Alex Jones was on, yeah, the Obama actually trucked in 600 male prostitutes to have gay orgies and give his enemies AIDS. Whoa. <laughs> like, dude, you have a guy that Googles things. Why not that? <laughs> I know it's interesting air. Just Google that. Oh, you're not? Uh, whoa. Uh. That's probably what I would say, too. I'm not in his position. But he is in that position because he had millions of dollars from an, like a show he said, like had no idea what hit so hard, thought he would get some jokes out of it when it failed in a few episodes, and said it lived on for another decade, at least. Imagine a world where your greatest fears become reality. Welcome to Fear Factor. Each show, six contestants from around the country battle each other in three extreme stunts. These stunts are designed to challenge the contestants both physically and mentally. If a contestant is too afraid to complete a stunt, they're eliminated. There's no way I'm jumping in there. There's no way. If they fail a stunt, they're eliminated. But if they succeed, they move one step closer to the grand prize, $50,000. It is one of the more interesting reality shows, but I believe if you, re- if you care enough to read about it as it went, it would generate headlines that typically caught the attention of animal rights activists, and they would have to... Mm. Like, one of those, she's like, I'm not doing that. And she was not getting in a tub full of maggots, which would kill a majority of the maggots. And eventually, mm-hmm. people are like, you can't just keep chewing endangered species and, uh, <laughs> and throwing dogs at people. And the, <laughs> so the first yeah. couple- <laughs> I did not realize, I did not know what the competition aspect of it was. Like, what was the end game? I just kind of thought it was more like a kind of a Nickelodeon style, like, like double what, was it? what would you. you do or double dare basically, but. No, I mean, if you, you couldn't see in that intro, but it's a person having to leap across from one truck to another while moving mm-hmm. and people, people in the shot do not make that jump. So uh-huh. they lose. Let well. me tell you this though. If that is the sort of thing you're into, I cannot recommend more highly the challenge. The challenge. I knew this. Was- <laughs> the challenge is what you're looking for because it has the most insane challenges, like these sorts of things, plus the eating weird stuff Whoa. that you've ever seen for much higher stakes. Plus you have the additional like personal in-house drama of people screaming at each other and throwing suitcases in the pool. And sometimes like <laughs> shaving people's heads when they're sleeping and all kinds of fun things like that. You mix like a bunch of like weirdos in a house with a bunch of alcohol. And then the next day make them like jump off the tallest building in Rio. Like yes. the challenge is what you're looking for people. I promise. I binged like an embarrassing amount of seasons over quarantine and, I absolutely love it. So skip Fear Factor. Watch there the challenge. Mm. Pretty much any season. Yeah. There, one, there's, there's one episode of Fear Factor you need, and it's in an episode of Chappelle's show. There when, you go. And, and to, to Sarah's point, I would guess there's a multitude of reality shows that do all this better anyway. Mm-hmm. Just not the guy to speak on that, because I don't have Paramount Plus a mountain of content. Again, available for a sponsorship. I'm tired of saying this for free. It's a one more time, Paramount. One more time. Also in television, nothing? No. What else do we have? 
Witchblade debuts. What the fuck is Witchblade? <laughs> so I bring this up. It was two seasons on TNT. It's based on a comic book series. Right. And it is stuck in my head as like, I think it has a pretty significant cult following, but I mm-hmm. want, I kind of wanted to throw it out here to see if any of our listeners, if it pings for them, because it definitely pinged for me as, as something that I think people who really love this show really love this show. From what I can tell, it starred Yancey Butler and it's about a detective who is part of like a witchy ancestry oh Mm -hmm. blade for witches yeah yeah i like it but i know that i i just have this feeling because i've read about it in enough places it may even be queer coded in a way maybe Mm. that's why i know about it from reading it from places but yeah i wanted to throw it out here because i do think it imprinted all on people i wanted to know if our listeners um felt the same way i have no authority on comics because i didn't even get to my notes that said Mike Magnola designed things in Atlantis, and that's why it looks like a Hellboy comic. Um, uh-huh. So looking in the notes, I'm doing my own Joe Rogan. Whoa! The people on 302010 who keep complaining, we need a stunt category in the Oscars. Fuck um, yeah, we do. That yes. was me. I complain about that all the time. That's all of us. We're all with you on that, Sura. Here's the Stunt Awards, something that allegedly has aired annually since 2001. <laughs> uh, I know I've seen it at least once. The Rock was hosting it, and this is one of the first times I saw, like, The Rock not being a wrestler, being, like, a guy. And I was like, holy shit, that guy's got so much charisma. Oh, my God. When he uses his real voice. Hello, Diana. Nice and he's just, by. like, he's a smile. Like, that mm-hmm. man has a gorgeous smile. Let's, we don't appreciate that enough. And especially, and did he have hair at this point? Did he look like a, it was his sexy Rob Snyder period? I don't <laughs> remember. I don't think. No, I think he did. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. But this is where... Amazing, like movies like uh, we've talked about previously. Mission Impossible Two wins two awards. As it, I saw someone post today, like, man, I really wrote this movie off, but it is like it is Mission Impossible Two. Sorry, Sarah and, and I and Sam were going off and like that's a really fun, evocative movie of its era and doesn't get enough credit. It is very, very stunt focused, especially in the bike sequences, and it wins an award for stunt coordination and sequences here, which I think is amazing. Um, me, myself, and Irene went, wins for best work with a vehicle, best water work okay. for a perfect storm, best fight, gladiator, best driving, gone in 60 seconds. This is the crowd-pleasing stuff the Oscars, I think, could really benefit from. Mm-hmm. When we talk about behind the scenes we really want to see, most of the stuff I want to see is best high work, the cell. I, I'm assuming they mean high wire work. That's mm-hmm. the stuff I want to see. I want to see that kind of film. That those aspects of of, of film work rewarded more on a, on a level yeah. like that. And if the, if you if you think in two thousand one, if the Oscars edit footage from any of these movies, even Hollow Man, which wins for best <laughs> fire, <laughs> how many more people are you drawing in just to see it? Like a, a, a ten minute segment on honoring stunts, amazing, amazing. And the, and the wiki on this, the 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 Taurus World Stunt Awards thing is pretty short and and like. Mm-hmm. Not very updated, and occasionally sponsored by Red Bull. Um, <laughs> well, that's not no, created by the founder of Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, good for him. I mean, they, they, no. I, he saw he saw a need and he filled it. I had, and I no. I also really like that they give a lifetime achievement award. In two thousand one, it went to Hal Needham. Hal Needham. Hey. Oh, I just had to have it. Just, my dad is like genuinely concerned. He saw Burt Reynolds' White Lightning on my coffee table. I'm like, what is your deal with all this Burt Reynolds bullshit? Because I'm like, oh yeah, for your generation, you snotty boomer, this is like an Adam Sandler movie. Whereas I'm just like, no, these are like Adam Sandler movies with top-notch stunts with best friends fucking around. I love <laughs> rewatching these Hal Needham movies. They're great. Anyway, 
Um, NBA Finals, Lakers hold on to the title, beat Philadelphia 76ers. There. No! There's your sports. There's your sports. And I'll move into games for, for a second. Again, we talk about these way more on Patreon.com slash time with the boys from Video Game Apocalypse. We do a video game show with me every single Friday. I make it sound like I'm a huge part of the show. They put way more work into it than I do. Matt and, uh, Matt and uh, Michael. But the, I can't wait to talk about this more in depth because I love it when I'm looking at the games like, huh, huh, that's a platform release. There's a giant platform release this week. Why, are, why is it so important that Earthworm Jim F-Zero maximum velocity and Konami crazy car? It's the launch of the Game Boy Advance, the second mm. ever Nintendo portable and quite possibly the most successful. Uh, How long was it just the Game Boy then? Yeah, uh, about uh, it's a 10-year cycle. It was a 10-year cycle. Wow. Which every platform, like, where you think this will be around for 10 years, you won't. It'll be six. And Nintendo made no such aspirations, but lasted uh, 11 to 12, I think 13 years that where they were still making new games for that thing. Um, but the Game Boy Advance was your 32-bit color finally like standard color system however i didn't get it here because it had most of the problems of the game boy it had no backlight and had mm. replaceable batteries no rechargeable nothing was rechargeable and even in 2001 we're, we have rechargeable stuff this is not impossible to throw a lithium battery in here yeah i'll go in that a little more in depth i do love that super mario advances out this week and that is the most confusingly titled series in the universe, but Super Mario Advance is a remake of Super Mario 2, which is Super Mario 2 for America. Super Mario <laughs> Advance 2 is Super Mario 3. It just, it, it just gets more and more confusing. But they're essentially remakes of classic Mario games for the Game Boy Advance, and they are excellent. They are, in some cases, the superior version of those games. I love Super Mario Advance, and I encourage you to... It's not playable officially, so you'll have to find it for yourself out there well. Collector's prices are skyrocketing, um, and Nintendo's suing torrent sites for it. So good luck is all I'm saying. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll put a ROM out there on Patreon. I'm not promising anything. Um, I don't want to get sued either. But we'll talk about the games more, patreon.com slash time. But let's, you know, I'm trying to segue into a joke Sarah could throw out for this song. But, um, you know, hmm. we haven't mentioned this joke in a while. You know, uh, <laughs> it's been a long time since <laughs> I've heard this song. It's been a while by Stain. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been able to steal another podcast joke. But it's uh, been a while. Since it's I been a while. <laughs> but uh, Stained is very popular right now for some reason. And oh yeah. So we can go out with this song that sounds very much like a Leonard Skinner simple kind of man. But uh, you know whatever. It was the two thousands and nobody knew that. So we'll be back in just a couple seconds. Chris, Matt, come with me Mm. on a journey of the mind. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Mm. You too could be one of the first people to try the new Lawnmower 4.0 and be blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. We've talked about our trials and travails while trying to tame the hair down there. Let's just say that areas of the body were placed in peril that should never be put in such precarious positions. I've been manscaping for a very long time. 
oftentimes with painful results. I don't know why those other trimmer guys even call those things guards, because it certainly wasn't doing its job in guarding anything <laughs> the times that it resulted in injury. Take my word for it, manscaping has always been something I've been very much into, and no one made a product specifically for and I didn't think I could be happier with the previous Manscaper, but man, I cannot wait to try out the Lawnmower 4.0. Chris, Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my beautiful baby boys down under. This upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on and off switch with a travel lock so that you don't run out of battery when you're on the go. It doesn't accidentally turn on there in your bag. Not that you would run out of battery, because get this, the 4.0 features a new wireless charging system that uses Whoa. electromagnetic induction, Whoa. which can help your battery last longer. So longer charge, shorter hairs. Ah. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. It's true, it's true, fellas. You gotta figure out which one's right for you because if you're like me and have a hairy tummy or everywhere else, you can't just go shorn have it look like a brush fire occurred in the middle of your body yeah this isn't a one-size-fits-all thing i go a little bit longer in the chest region mm -hmm. i go with it's the magnum is what i call it the magnum pi look but this also gives you the ability to turn the 4000k led spotlight on or off when needed for a more precise shave the other thing i gotta mention it here fellas if you've been using the same trimmer on your face that you do mm -hmm. on your nuts don't do that you are doing it all wrong. No one wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. That's disgusting. <laughs> it's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make mm -hmm. me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice, smooth baby boys. Mm -hmm. And right now, Chris, our listeners can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. That's right. 20% off free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using promo code LASERTIME. One word, baby. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth watching. And for the week of June 11th through 17th, we have literally one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, a movie I find absolutely perfect that I can rewatch every year at Christmas. And I've watched it multiple times with the sound off just to study how it is made. The film that both Atlantis the Lost Empire and Lara Croft Tomb Raider are desperately trying to be Raiders of the Lost Ark turns 40 this week. Yay! June 12th, 1981. A day that will live in. Yay! What can I say? It's kind of perfect. It's kind of the perfect action adventure movie with fun characters and great locations. The action scenes are perfect. It might be John Williams's best score, which is saying a fucking lot. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, I think Fathom Events is putting it back in some theaters. A 4K DVD just came out which I'm dying to see uh, on my big screen. If you haven't watched it in a long time, please do. And seriously, look at every shot because this is how you direct a movie. Every shot 
gives you information about the plot, the characters, or both. If you want to watch it streaming, it's rentable or it's on Paramount Plus because they have a mountain of entertainment and because they always have a from the Paramount logo into the movie. And that's a thing that they do. Opening up the scene with waterfalls it, where I went on my honeymoon. Coincidentally, I wasn't doing that on purpose. And then Alfred Molina gets attacked by all the spiders. And that whole opening sets up the whole rest of the movie and tells you everything you didn't know about this guy in like three shots. God damn, this movie is good. It's it's kind of flawless. And I think I mentioned last week Raiders exclamation point the making of the greatest fan film of all time that is free on tubi and i watched that after i watched super eight last week because we're talking about kids making a movie that is really fun and it's free because it's on tubi uh about these kids in the early 80s trying to remake the film on betamax and they put a lot of effort into it and they spent like their entire childhood summers for seven years trying to make it and (laughs) it's real interesting and then uh in like 2015 they get back together, some of them get back together to crowdfund to do the one sequence they couldn't do, which is the plane fight with the bald Nazi and then the plane blowing up because it was too dangerous. And they said, oh, we don't want to use miniatures. And it's like, dude, you should have used miniatures because when they do it as adults crowdfunding it, it costs something like 40 grand and it's extremely dangerous. Raiders of the Lost Ark, I, I got nothing else to say except that like it's flawless and every adventure movie tries to be it and rarely come close to succeeding because they're missing one element or another and this has all of them so yeah happy 40th anniversary yay and that's it for this week stay classic Struck like lightning fighters, keep fighting, put your lighters up, point them skyward, uh! Had a dream, I was king, I woke up, steel king, snap kings, nipple is mine, for the milk king. Till nobody else even fucking feels me, till it kills me, I swear to God I'll be the fucking illest in this music. There is, or there ever will be, disagree, feel free, but from now on I'm refusing to ever give up, only thing I ever gave up is using, no more excuses, excuse me. Coming in with, uh, Lighters, by Bad Meets Evil, aka Eminem and Royce the Five Nine. This is not the first time I've heard of this. I, this is obviously a song that's very famous, and of course I know what it is. Featuring Bruno Mars off of Hell, the sequel. Not sure what <laughs> album that is, um, but enjoy Lighters, everyone, because that's 2011. In a nutshell, in my opinion, one of the greatest songs that's ever existed, and not something I heard in uh, small snippets right before we started recording. <laughs> I am with it. Don't tell, don't give us bad reviews. <laughs> Besides, Sarah and Diana know more about the music. Such as other new releases for... June 11th to 17th, like uh, Set the World on Fire by Black Veil Brides, All the Bright and Beautiful by Owl City, Wild and Free by Ziggy Marley, also out this week, Sounds of a Playground Fading by In Flames, self-titled album bon Iver, by Bon Iver, and uh, Planet Pit by Pitbull um, out this week. Rolling the Deep by Adele is number one. Was that self-titled by Bonnie? I think it's Bonnie Vare. Bonnie Vare. Is that the one that won the Grammy eventually? And everyone was like, who the fuck is Bonnie Bear? I think that was Arcade <laughs> Fire. Because that became a no, meme. I, I, I definitely remember people winning it, winning some award and people legit, yeah. like actually being like, Bonnie Bear? But what I, is one, Bonnie Bear? <laughs> yeah, one Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album. Oh, okay. okay. Bonnie Bear. That's, and now I can now I just, I mean, I like Bonnie Bear, but like, I now I always just think of it as Bonnie Bear. Bonnie Bear. <laughs> yeah. You can make it at Build a Bear. Movies of 2011, June 11th to the 17th, uh, The Art of Getting By with Blair Underwood, Rita Wilson, Alicia Silverstone, Sam Robards, uh, Elizabeth Racer, Michael oh, Angarno, uh, Emma Roberts, and Freddie Highmore. The Art of Getting By. 
What yeah. a cast. What it's a, a cast. It's a hell of a cast. And it's weird that it's like, just like in, in 2001, where we have just like one coming of age movie up against the, the big stuff uh, with Tart. This is, yeah, same with Art of Getting By, which is, again, about kids and I got a crush on her and I'm a, I'm a troubled teenager at like a fancy school and no one understands me. And then there's goings on and oh no, someone's in danger. Not really kind of, it sounds kind of like loser or adventure land in some mm. ways. And even with such a good cast, the, the reviews were all like, again, seen it, been there, been done better. Don't care. And it's like, oh, but I like all of these people. This boo. And I didn't have time to watch it. I'm sorry. It's, hmm. Yeah, it's not like we can watch all of these movies. And you're really lucky. You're really lucky that I've seen one of these movies twice, and that Diana bothered with another one of them. Like, in fact, you should get an award. We should have a 30 2010 award for like jumping on the grenade. Look, um, we all have I, to take turns. I, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I jumped on the grenade this week because um, yeah, I, I watched this next movie, giving it a chance, <laughs> giving it a chance. I tried. Yeah. But I'm, no, let me get into. Why I I have many reasons why I hate Mr. Popper's Penguin starring Jim Carrey, Carla Gugino, Angela Lansbury, Clark Gregg, and person with awesome name Ophelia Lovabond. <laughs> Great name. Tom Popper is about to inherit a world of trouble. I'll call you back. Meet Bitey. Oh, ah. Lovey. Not fair. Nimrod. <laughs> Loudy. <laughs> and Stinky. That's not cute. Jim Carrey. I have to send the penguins back. Sing a penguin. Yes, send penguins. <laughs> Mr. Popper's Penguins. Diana, <laughs> such a stern look on her face. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I mean, right. obviously this isn't a movie for us 10 years right. ago or now, but. Yeah, no, it is definitely aimed at littler kids mm-hmm. and. I'm not even going to complain that they, you know, took a beloved children's book and made it slacky, wappy, whatever. Okay, I understand. Fine. But my my problem is they took template 14 of kids movie and then they grafted the title of a beloved children's book on it. A book from the 30s, which deserves so much better. Yeah, so Jim Carrey, he's he's a tough corporate guy and he's doesn't. Like he's a selfish, grumpy guy, uh, and he's divorced from his wife, and his kids aren't crazy about him. And like a liar, liar, I like it. Keep going. I was gonna say, and he cannot tell a lie, (laughs) right? And that he accidentally comes into contact with these penguins because of daddy issues, because his dad was an adventurer who was never there, and it's like he's a big explorer, and it's like in 1981. (laughs) Okay, and so, but his dad kidnapped a penguin and sent it to him <laughs> i believe it I believe uh it. and and but now he's got this penguin and then like he calls and tries to send the penguin back and they just send him a, dun- a bunch more penguins and then his kids show up like for that weekend and they're like you got us penguins this is great and no one says any of the obvious things that you are thinking hmm. like mm. penguins don't belong in an apartment <laughs> or, <laughs> this is clearly against the law yeah this is, why, uh, why torture these penguins this, this is animal torture. Then Clark Gregg shows up as the bad guy who is an actual penguin expert who's like, you can't keep these motherfucking penguins in an apartment. They're, they're going to get sick and die, you asshole. But he's the bad guy because he wants to kidnap the penguins and put them in a zoo where they would be happier than in an apartment! <laughs> Uh, and meanwhile, how do you, how do you get Jim Carrey as the good guy against someone like that? Yeah, well, because he loves them. I know, I know. It's a thing. Yeah, that's what all animal hoarders say. Now, even even yes. when, when I watched, like, was watching like Big Daddy and like 
yeah, this kid should be remanded to the state and not in Adam Sandler's house. Yeah. I'm an adult uh, Meanwhile, now. Angela Lansbury's floating around in a subplot that really just exists to get the penguins to at the Guggenheim, where they filmed, and that looks very nice. And penguins slide down the big Guggenheim ramp, and good for them. I mean, yeah, that is a, the place you want to be with a penguin because it is so slippery and slidey. <clears throat> A ton of poop and fart jokes. Ew. Uh, the terrible <laughs> lesson about anthropomorphizing animals and that they really love you, even though you're ill-equipped to treat them properly. And also my number one least favorite thing about any children's movie ever, which is the divorced parents falling in love again. Mm. I hate it so much. The beginning of this, they seem to have a pretty good divorce. Like they can talk about what's going on and the kids and no one's, they're not squabbling or fighting. Carla Gugino's dating a guy who looks like young Richard Dreyfus. Awesome. And then, of course, by him abusing these animals in his fucking apartment, you know, she realizes she still cares about him. And I was like, go fuck. That is the worst thing to tell kids. It is the single worst thing we put in children's movies. Don't any of these writers have bad divorces where they realize, no, getting back together is a disaster. Yeah. Every time I want to get back with some uh, a girlfriend, I do something drastic, insane, possibly litigious. And uh, I, I feel like they appreciate the spontaneity. I mean, I just like all my exes, I've just sucked them dry of life force so that there's like nothing left for me to return to. Nothing nothing for them left to do but love penguins. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, this is just, and it it just, it wasn't funny. I didn't enjoy it at all. There you go. That's the worst. I, I just resented it deeply the whole time. I kept giving it a chance. Like, come on, I love penguins. It's really hard to piss me off when there's penguins being cute. And, and the digital a, penguins are very good, but I just what oh, were the numbers even that, for like, little kids? Movies no. thought we loved like penguins were the number one animal for a very, 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 very long it's time. True, that is a good point. Yeah. Well, March yeah. the Penguins, and then it Happy was March Feet. the Penguins Happy that did it. Happy Feet, yeah, but even like Surfs Up, Penguins yeah. in Madagascar. Uh, yep. This is not the only movie with penguins. Oh, yeah, they're very fucking cute. Yeah. I recommend all of those other movies. <laughs> and and there's something about this, and I. I Lightly Googled it, but I couldn't get to the bottom of it. This is kind of the last starring role of Jim Carrey to this day. Huh. He he returned to play Lloyd Christmas in Dumb and Dumber 2. But he mm-hmm. but like I'm a huge Jim Carrey fan and I love watching him now more than ever because his appearances and interviews tend to be a little self-reflective, surreal, and go between Zen and like this is the most abjectly depressed person I've ever seen in my life. And he, and he doesn't have to say yes to anything. And if you look at his IMDb after this, he he's the and Jim Carrey in Kick-Ass 2 or he's in Anchorman 2 as a cameo. He's in 30 Rock as a cameo. And he's the and Jim Carrey in Sonic the Hedgehog. But other than that, like you do not have Jim Carrey's name above the title. Uh, after this movie, and I feel like... I feel like I'm projecting this, but there's a story here of why he sort of withdrew from being in movies. Hmm. I don't want to do this. This is not what I want to do anymore. And I think that... Well, he had that Showtime show. He did. And he said, but that's when he works now, it's like, that sounds fun. Michelle Gondry wants to make a show. I'll fucking do whatever he wants. And I appreciate that about him. But I I have a feeling there's something that happened here where he's like, this is it. I'm not doing this. And I haven't read his fake biography yet, but I do hope to someday. (laughs) But I I have a feeling this this is a pivotal moment for his career. Like, I can be a movie star and stuff I (laughs) find, like, completely disgusting. Or I can act when I feel like it. I can afford it now. I I don't have to be in movies like this every summer. And, yeah, small role in Burt Wonderstone and... Anchorman and Sonic and he yeah he has not been in much yeah. since Popper's Penguins 
yeah interesting good. that's a good choice then yeah. him, because if he kept making stuff like this you know you you make enough crap and it starts to overwrite people's memories of the good stuff until you die and then all of a sudden everyone smacks their head and goes god damn why didn't we appreciate him it's like because mm-hmm. he yeah. was making a lot of i mean it's i'll call it robin williams syndrome honestly it's like he's making so much stuff that's like not up to the old standard that we just kind of go eh. yeah. and then something horrible happens and it makes us realize like oh god damn we, we should have appreciated the good stuff and just ignored the shitty I stuff keep, i keep meaning to watch kidding sarah just because like that seems like the only thing i've seen like He's doing that because he loves to do that, not because he needs money from Showtime. The dude made like $25 million a picture yeah. for over 10 years. Guy's set and, and clearly does what he wants after this. Mr. Popper's Penguin seems like, I look at the poster and I see like, is that pain in his, in his eyes? I can't tell. <laughs> I can't tell. Is this what it's pain in Diana's eyes. <laughs> I Ugh. can't believe you. I, I, I can't believe you even weighed in on it just because like, uh, I don't know. You're right. Somebody had to. I think if someone had to. We don't want to talk about it behind the scenes, but I do think like it should. One of our duties should be to hopping on a grenade like this every show. And um, mm-hmm. I thought I did it with an Atlantis, but then Diana did it too. The next one, man, we have a, a real dumb story about what would you want to call it? The cycle of criticism. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big comic book fan. And I'm, uh, yeah, <laughs> a big comic book fan. And then a couple of friends of mine, we definitely did a podcast about it. I think Henry and Brett of uh, Green Lantern comes out and we don't bother seeing it because it doesn't look very exciting. And then this movie is getting two rounds, like the, the lowest reviewed comic book movie since like the Wolverine <laughs> origins movie, uh, like, pe- <laughs> but, but like that had, that was going up against a writer's strike and a bunch of other difficulties. This had no, ex- no such excuse. And of course, I'm talking about, well, I'll say it in a second. And we wait a week and go and see it. And we're the only people in the theater. And we're like, you know, given that we've heard this movie bludgeoned on Twitter for a week and like at what every critic has to say, like this was not that bad. We then readdressed it in a movie commentary and then discovered like it really is. It really, <laughs> really is that bad. We were, but for, for a couple years, we were the lone defenders of Clancy Brown, Michael Clark Duncan. Talking voice work, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Rush, Taika Waititi, I don't remember. Um, yeah. Tara yeah, Morrison, yeah. Tim Robbins, Angela Bassett, Mark Strong, awesome in this. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard, Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds. This is where they meet, I guess. Number yeah. one, number yes. one in the box office for one very short week. It's the Green Lantern, everyone. Hal Jordan, the ring chose you. Anything I see in my mind, I can create. You face an unprecedented danger. It's headed for Earth. Brightest day, blackest night. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light! Green Lantern. This film is not yet ready to start. <laughs> Green light! You know, the uh, kind of performance you want to see from Ryan Reynolds. Oh, uh, boy. Where to start? Development hell, development obviously. Hell. This movie was in development hell for a long time. There were a whole bunch of different scripts, including a Robert Smigel one that was a straight comedy with I, Jack Black. I love. Which I've read. He, which I've read, read and it's not bad. Yeah. It's like bad. I've heard. It needed some work. I've heard both of them talk about that. And I am, while I'm glad they didn't make that, I wish they would have made that instead of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. And then like Greg Berlanti worked on this for a long time that he got fired. And then that script got rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. And it just, yeah, it started like 1997, I think, is when they acquired the rights and they were just working on it and working on it. And then they finally get around to this is again, like a lot of casting, what ifs, 
being kicked around. I'm not sure Ryan Reynolds was the right pick compared to I, I think some of now the people that we've they were seen thinking about. How good he is as Deadpool, he would have been suited better suited for a lot of other DC characters. But I, and yeah. I, I do want to say this before I talk about this. I have a lot of history with DC Comics, and I'm aware of Green Lantern's importance, but he was never really a character I got or loved. Mm-hmm. But the importance is clear. When you see a DC movie now, they have that DC logo. And he's one of like the six people they show you. This is the most important in the DC universe. It's also like this concept of like space cops who can do anything is like really difficult to nail on film. And the only I have mm. no intelligence to bring to this as someone who's read. I have tried to read every important Green Lantern comic. It doesn't totally work for me very well. It's not very grounded a very grounded character to begin with. This group yeah. of space cops who can conjure anything of green energy and are allergic to yellow. Um, it's, it seems very old timey. I like that, but I've seen Green Lantern, Hal Jordan and John Stewart pop up in a ton of ensemble DC stuff. And that always makes me really happy to have him hmm. around. I think his, his backstory is so otherworldly and dense. I'd really like to see a Green Lantern show. And I think you need, mm. I, I think most people, I think Nathan Fillion was cast as him in one of the cartoons and everyone's like, this is perfect. Ooh. It should be Nathan Fillion. And now that we've seen Ryan Reynolds, funny guy, effortlessly funny yeah. guy. He should be a funnier character. Deadpool and him are a great match. It seems bizarre that they went with him here to to really not his. You can see him his his personality bolt like a barraging through the boring of this movie. <laughs> yeah, they, and there's there's moments that are funny that you know he sells really well. Mm-hmm. That I think you know Jared Leto was up for this part. Like he wouldn't be able to sell, right. but. Uh, I think one of the big problems I have is is directed by Martin Campbell, who's an underrated director. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a Casino Royale, uh, Mask of Zorro. I, he's a really, a Golden Eye, one of my favorites. He's a really good action director, but this is an effects film. Yeah, It's way more effects than he's ever had to deal with. It's constant special effects. I just don't think he was the right guy to deal with that. That's not his wheelhouse. You give him a car chase, he's going to kill it. You give him an imaginary car made of green energy <laughs> it's one flying of the, down it's, a matchbox track. It's one of the sillier just, sequences in the movie. Like, I got to fight this mm-hmm. guy and I don't know how. And he manifests a Formula One Hot Wheels on a yeah. on a race car track to hit <laughs> the villain with. It is. It, I remember liking it at the time, but I, I'm sure people hold it aloft as one of the sillier things ever seen on screen. It's, it's yeah, just it is all over the place. I... <sighs> I mean, I'll say one nice thing. Peter Sarsgaard mm-hmm. is giving a way better performance than this movie deserves. I mean, you can and it's count like, on him. I, like, I feel bad for him. <laughs> like, he is really, really giving... He's from some other movie that's much better and I want to watch. I also like Mark Everybody Strong else. as Sinestro in the movie. Um, yeah. Him, the worst thing about the movie is him being teased as the next big bad at the end of the film that we'll never yeah. see addressed. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know what DC is doing with its dark universe. Uh, I'm sorry. DCEU. I don't know where they are. with. I, I'm sure they'll get back to the Green Lantern point. They have to. But uh, he's, he's one of their big guys, but... It's kind of like the Superman problem of like, well, what can you throw at him? Because he's kind of overpowered. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. You can kind of, mm. when all of our characters can do anything, how do we create mm. somebody who can fight this person? But but I think the story doesn't exist on Earth. Like whenever I read something I love, with, it's a universe ending event that every hero needs a team up for, or it's way off in space and doesn't concern us mere mortals at all. I love Kilowog. I love all the other space cops in this. I think that's where I would rather see the film. 
I remember yeah. playing the game, which is also out this week and, and has some great vocal performances from these actors in it. I remember it's the only DVD I, I, I purchased that had valuable video game content on the disc for Arkham Asylum. Uh, if you what? bought the Blu-ray, yes, uh, and PS3 Arkham Asylum had fr- still to this day, I think, still DLC on the Green Lantern disc if it's not free already. But uh, yeah, yeah. this th- I, I don't remember a superhero movie in our modern era, performing as poor as the Green Lantern. In fact, Deadpool 2 kicks the shit out of it in like multiple <laughs> end credit sequences. I, I don't remember this superhero movie, and I know I watched it. You, I think this might have been one of the last movies that I got through Netflix DVD. <laughs> honestly. I, yeah, I, remember I remember this I era, this I, era, your stepson is like more into DC than he is in the Marvel stuff. So he was mm-hmm. like all in on your house was filled with this, these kind of characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I definitely watched this. Definitely don't remember a single frame of it. And yeah, it gave us one of Hollywood's most annoying couples. So thanks. And here's the other thing. I don't remember what Blake Lively looks like. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's how little she mattered to me in the film. Like, I just. Looks like a beautiful willow tree. I'm sure hmm. a pretty lady. But again, I'm not yeah. I'm not I'm not the biggest Green Lantern fan to speak on what is right or wrong about this. I just know it's one of those things if if I hear they're adapting this in a movie, I'm like, oh good luck, Jesus Christ. But Marvel has surpassed my expectations with things like Thor and Guardians a billion times. It's not impossible to have a great Green Lantern movie, not even slightly. It's just yeah. uh they approached it like a normal, effortless blockbuster, and it's just not that fun. And it's a yeah. yeah, it's a bummer. But we'll get something good out of Green Lantern. I promise. I can guarantee this as a you know Z tier podcaster. Um, believe <laughs> believe me. Uh, you want to just move into TV? Yeah. Pivot away from um, Hal Jordan. NBA yeah, Finals. Dallas Mavericks beat the Miami Heat. Wow. Because when I was paying attention to basketball twenty years ago. Dallas Mavericks were the worst. They were the absolute yep. worst of the worst. And now they beat Miami Heat, who is also up there with the worst, as every Florida expansion team is for a while. But uh, <laughs> I have been to Miami malls getting things signed by Miami Heat members. That probably would have broke my heart, should I care. I uh, cared about sports in 2011, which I did not. Uh, Stanley Cup. The Boston Bruins beat the Vancouver Canucks, leading to rioting in Vancouver. And the most romantic photo ever. Yeah. Second week in a row, I got a visual to share. It's at tinyurl.com slash riotkiss2011. <laughs> One of the best photos of all time. This couple really who good. are actually Australians living in Vancouver, got no- she got knocked over by riot cops, then he got kind of knocked on top of her. And he said, like, are you okay? And she said, yeah. And then, so they're laying in the street kissing with riot cops all around them. It yes. is a fantastic photo. It looks like if you had no context that the riot cops are protecting them. <laughs> they're, they're in the middle of, of the photo, walking. That photo always reminds me of The Dreamers, that movie, at the oh, very shit. ending of it, where they go huh. out into the riot or march or whatever. No, yeah. but I but I but I'm, I I just haven't heard anybody reference The Dreamers in so long. I'm just oh, happy to hear one it. One of my favorites. Are we going to get to that? Is that is that covered in any of these decades? I hope so, because I have thoughts okay. <laughs> <laughs> about those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And T-H-O-T-S. uh. But yeah, I, I feel like, um, well, never mind. I was going to start talking about Green Lantern again. <laughs> uh, what's a <laughs> Bruin? Don't. What's a Bruin? How about that? I'll leave that to the comments. It's a bear. Um, it's a what? The bear, right? Is it yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Leave it to the ladies to know everything about sports. I, <laughs> I don't need to weigh wow. in at all. 
How, yeah. well, come bring that bring that energy into the Tonys, the uh, 2011 Tonys with me. Where sure. is this the first? This can't be the first year Neil Patrick Harris hosts, but um, no, hmm. maybe, maybe it is. It's like they credit. The, I'm reading now. Yes, it is. It oh, such a dramatic improvement. Calling Neil Patrick Harris America's next great awards host, and they're not wrong. That is almost he's, exclusively yeah. what he's thrown into as a host of something for the rest of the, the next ten years. It's his yep. perfect, it's the perfect thing for him. Mm-hmm. Like his specific set of skills mm-hmm. is perfect oh. for hosting this sort of thing. Yep. And I know I've seen this opening number because it's wonderful. It's him singing. Yeah. Uh, Broadway. It's not just for gays anymore. <laughs> I've definitely seen that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the awards I don't so much remember. Oh, best play War Horse. Hell yeah. Any any play starring a real horse. Oh wait, no, this is a fake horse on stage. It's a it's a fake horse. Yeah, but Sorry. in the movie, it's a real horse. Book of Mormon wins best musical, making it ten years. I've been angry about not getting to see the Book of Mormon. God damn. Seen Hamilton uh, twice, but I can't see Book of Mormon. The Normal Heart wins best revival. And uh, Best Revival of Musical goes to Anything Goes. Francis McDormand wins for uh, Good People. Play I've never yeah, heard working of. Working on that EGOT, girl. Yeah. God damn. Yeah, we need to just put her in like a Kanye song or something and um, <laughs> really put her over the top. What the fuck? Best leading actor in a musical, Norbert Leo Butts in... And catch me if you can. There's a musical based on that movie. Oh, this is a is this a sad time for Broadway? I remember in being in San Francisco and like coming soon, Shrek the musical, and the, the advertisements took over the city. And like we're all embarrassed by this, right? That we're even having to see these advertisements that Shrek the musical is a thing. Never mind. Everything but, gets to be a musical. Every movie is going to be a musical now. It's that's how it works. Yeah, but I'm seeing nominated. I'm not mad about it. There's a play called the motherfucker with the hat like i'll see let me see that one yeah uh wow oh hold on best performance by a a featured actor in a musical john larroquette uh how to succeed in business without really trying that's exciting that is exciting and ellen barkin winning for uh uh, normal heart and uh trey parker robert lopez and matt stone for book of mormon for best book of a musical what the fuck category is that the book is like the non-music parts of the musical yeah the dialogue Okay, I should not be reading these off. <laughs> what do you I think is happy, important? I'm happy to see Sutton Foster win for Anything Goes. I love, 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 love Sutton Foster so much. She's just so good in everything she does. Where Watch. would we know her from? She is a Broadway person who made the jump to television. She was in Funheads, which was the follow-up mm. uh, the, by Amy Sherman Palladino. Was the follow-up to Gilmore Rolls that was very short-lived and should not have been as short-lived. It should have lived much longer. And now she's on Younger, which I cannot recommend enough. Younger is so unwatched and should be more watched. It's so good. Cute. Anything else? I like I this is not my world. You've got to tell me if something's important here. <laughs> I'm looking through the in memoriam. I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. Tom Bosley. There we go. I know that guy. Yeah. Well, and the Normal Heart is a very, very mm. important play. Normal mm. Heart is a autobiographical play by Larry Kramer, who is a true American hero. Something to be familiar with if you're at all interested in the fight against AIDS and HIV. And then somehow pivot. AIDS into video games because I'm a master at Sudways. Uh, pretend I did that and <laughs> we can talk real quickly about We Play Motion, uh, some of the most annoying phenomenon of the Waggle era. Alice, Madness Returns, hits consoles. Child of Eden is a pretty decent RPG out from Ubisoft. Duke Nukem Forever. 
Oh my. Even Diana is familiar with the drama behind this one. A game, oh I believe, 11, over 10 years in the making, finally sees the light of day and does not do very well because it turns out the character of Duke Nukem wasn't really that funny, or at least not meant to exist across the decade. <laughs> I mean, he's such an 80s character. If you update him, that's stupid. But if you don't get the retro right, it's stupid too. Yeah, and this this game did not do very well, but it has that interesting story of I think it's it's purchased by Gearbox, the people who worked on the original game at Apogee kind of buy it out from failure and decide to the people who were like tutelaged by uh the studio that was having trouble getting the game out end up releasing it. And it just I remember the announcement was exciting, but when it finally came out, everybody was bummed. Outland, a game I liked. Do not confuse it with a Berkeley Breath comic strip. Um, it is just a game where you use the colors of uh, blue and red as different powers. It's more interesting than I'm making it sound, but I don't have a lot of time here. Leave me alone, people. Why not? Transformers Dark of the Moon is out, and I'm guessing teasing what is coming this week, which I have heard from people who care is the best Transformers movie that's not Bumblebee. Okay. Out of the five. So mm -hmm. I am going to give it a shot this week. Before we can get completely out of here, we just have to say that the show is brought to you by patreon.com slash laser time and executive producers like Adam Foote and many other fine people who just want to give us five bucks and help us keep going for another month. We do appreciate that. Di, where can people see what you're doing? They can follow me on the Twitter at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. And coming up next week... Just in time for the ninth edition of this franchise, we will hit the 20th anniversary of the first edition of this franchise. I know exactly what you're talking about. And this I'm so like a riddle. I know. No, it's Fast and Furious, man. It's 20th anniversary of the first yeah. Fast and Furious. Oh. We're hitting. We are hitting what most people seem to think is the worst Pixar movie. Uh, Even good, though I'm sure very small children love it to death. Good dinosaur? And, okay. No, the other one. Brave. And... Yeah. The 30th anniversary of a movie very much in the spirit of Raiders of the Lost Ark from Disney. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, and it's comic yes. book based. Oh, it's hitting everything. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Super excited for that. Uh, and can't wait to talk about with the Video Game Apocalypse Boys about the game, the game Boy Advance launch. One of the most exciting Seriously, like one of the all if you don't know, the port Nintendo's portables tend to outsell their home consoles by like 100% uh, and then have a 10 10 year life cycle and are generally backwards compatible in the next, next system. So people are playing these games for like 20 fucking years. I love talking about portable Nintendo consoles now that they're gone. Thank you, Nintendo Switch. But with all that out of the way, who died during this period, Diana? Well, the only one I found this week is in 1991, we lost Dame Peggy Ashcroft, who is 83. She is much more known as like one of the great British stage actresses, but I just remember her from Passage to India. Oh, so not Don Draper's yeah. assistant. I was mistaken. No. You know, Sarah shattered my record, but I can't let her get on a streak here. It's time for the b -b -b birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. A birthday quiz. Who was born <laughs> during this period instead of who died? Who was born? Okay, we have a super birthday quiz that I seriously need like a wall behind me with the red yarn of how all these people are interconnected because we have Sweet. birthday buddies. First of all, we have people born same day, same year. Exactly. Turning 35 this week. 
We will okay. start with born June 13th, 1986 in Sherman Oaks, California. Dad was a real estate broker and mom was a manager. Despite having more than 50 credits on IMDb, we haven't really talked about the movies and TV, including like, I'm pretty sure we completely skipped the 1999 sitcom Two of a Kind. <laughs> Paul Reiser. No, he's not 35. He's much, no. much older. So instead, why don't we talk about high fashion, uh, like no, the label The Row? You're giving this to Sarah. Which received five Council of Fashion Designers awards. It's very nice, like, drapey products. If you want to drop something for, like, $1,000 on a shirt for what they like to call homeless chic. Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Bingo! God damn it! I told No fair. No fair. Oh, because yeah, they're really, only in Full House. That's it. Full yeah. House is the only thing of theirs that we've actually talked about. Yeah, I think they start starring and stuff go. in like 93. So we haven't hit that period mm-hmm. of 30, 2010. Yeah, we have not hit that completely. So what? separately, I just wanted to point out, Ashley was the one who wanted to go into fashion by trying to design the perfect t-shirt for all shapes and ages. I did not know Mary-Kate was such good friends with Heath Ledger that when his massage therapist found his body, that's the phone call that she made well, she, before she he was, called the cops. That was her house or her apartment that he was found in, I believe. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And she sent a security guard to secure the scene. And then the cops talked to her like maybe she was giving him drugs or she covered something up. And she just divorced the half-brother of the former French president. Oh. Yeah. Man, I, I love these bitches. They're always smoking. Very rare these days. Oh, I thought you were just like giving out like a verbal compliment. These... No. They're literally always smoking cigarettes and looking pissed off, which is like kind of... That's how I always am inwardly. I just can't hmm. do that all the time. I get, look, they have like a hundred million dollars each. Yeah, like yeah. they can do the fuck you money and do whatever you want, man. Yeah, I'll marry the half brother of the president of France. Who gives a fuck? Saying, you gave all fashion <laughs> tips. If you would have said to grandmother's house we go, I would have nailed that shit. <laughs> I know or how, how, the, West West was how fun. the West was fun. <laughs> I love that title, man. Okay, but we're not done. Okay, what? Because we have someone who was born the same day as the Olsen twins. Oh shit. June 13th, 1986, born Catherine Litwak in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Um, Her dad was a pharmacology professor at Penn, and she was homeschooled and graduated high school at 14, by which time she was already doing commercials. Catherine Heifel. Nope. She made her screen debut on Sex in the City as the obnoxious kid Samantha has to do publicity for her bat mitzvah. What? Yeah, Um, I didn't know that one. Catherine Hahn. <laughs> no. Oh, God. First of the, the Red Yarn connections. In 2001, she was on a short-lived sitcom called Raising Dad with Bob Saget and Brie Larson. God damn. Harriet, Harriet the Spy. No. No to Mecklenburger? <laughs> no. Oh. Okay, but we have talked about a bunch of her movies. So we'll start with uh, London, Big Mama's House 2, The House Bunny. Not Anna Ferris. No. Oh. That's so Raven. Raven Simone. No. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, boom, 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 boom. Kiss me, kill me, Olivia Thirlby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love when you say that, but no. Cat Dennings. Cat Dennings. Cat Dennings. Yay. Yay. I was actually first guess, but I definitely wanted to say kiss me, kill me, Olivia Thirlby. I know you did. And we also talked about Thor. And in September, we'll talk about Two Broke Girls starting. Now, here's where things get super crazy. Okay, so we just said that she worked with Bob Saget and Brie Larson. Okay, mm-hmm. Brie Larson is in the Marvel Universe, and Kat Dennings. Uh, and Kat Dennings is in Thor, and which co-stars, which, well, first she was in London, co-starring Chris Evans, mm-hmm. and she was in Thor, starring Stellan Skarsgård, and there's the Marvel okay. connection there. Yeah. Chris Evans turns 40 June 13th, and Stellan Skarsgård turns 70. They all have the same birthday. Ooh. How weird. <laughs> now, here's the thing like, that kills me. I feel like you're gold-blooming right now in Jurassic <laughs> I am, Park. <laughs> I am super gold-blooming right now. 
because it is so weird that also that Kat Dennings was on WandaVision with the Olsen twins' sister Elizabeth. Ooh, Everyone's got the whoa. same birthday, and it is three days off of being 616. Three days! Whoa! whoa. There's the comic connection I needed. Yeah, oh. so... Chris Evans, happy birthday. Stellan Skarsgård, happy birthday. Kat Dennings, happy birthday. Wow. Barricade Olsen, happy birthday. Ashley Olsen, happy birthday. I was going to say, it's, it has to be both their birthdays, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not necessarily. That's true. Really? Do like 1159, 1202? If their mom's on a plane over a time zone, <laughs> it could happen. What wow. if it was like at 3 a.m. on Daylight Savings Time? No, I know what you're saying. That like someone, yeah. so you're, you're, yeah. and it yeah. remains or, younger than you. again. 11.59 p.m. and then 12.03 no, no, no. a.m. That's probably the most common and easiest Not way sexy to enough. have twins with two different... I mean, birthdays. if you're the person writing the, the birth certificate, just change it. Just lie. Don't give these people two different birthdays. Uh, no. You know how much it sucks to share a birthday? I, yeah. I, I understand how much it sucks to share a birthday any holiday, but it's not going to make a difference if it's two minutes apart. The budget is still the same. Uh, no, for your I like it presence. that way that each twin gets their individual appreciation instead of yeah. always being limped in as a unit. I knew twins. Plus, and the way, the way they did it is that somebody would have their birthday in the morning and someone had their uh, birthday in the evening. And huh. it was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty. <laughs> I could never be a part of one of them because I couldn't wake up for it. But their can family. Can you imagine <laughs> though? Oh, well, you're a terrible friend. No. But can you imagine if it, they were separated by one day and it was on like an astrological cusp? Like oh, having a Leo and a Virgo, that would be wild. Yeah. I'll, uh, every time we have one of these birthday buddies, I feel like it's proof <laughs> that astrology is false. <laughs> I can see the Olsen twins and Kat Dennings getting along. I don't know. I feel like they all get along. Everyone I'm sure they do. Them. But it's still, there's something I like about the idea that Kat Dennings is getting texts on her birthday on the same set as Elizabeth Olsen. And they both like birthdays to one another. That is happening <laughs> right now. Uh, like while they fil- secretly filmed the second season of WandaVision, which again, Z-level podcaster, I can confirm this to you. There are way too many YouTubers breaking fake news. Why can't we try? We should close down the show. What are we closing out with, Dime? Yeah. I think we should close out with Right Now by Van Halen. This is my favorite. This is like, I, I feel a like. big ass hit. This, it's the anthem really for the early 90s. Video. For Crystal me, Pepsi ads. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Crystal gravy ads. Um <laughs> So good. Watching Kevin Nealon bite into a wing covered in what's clearly detergent. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the best parodies ever. Crystal crystal gravy. Yeah, you can find out more at uh, LaserTimePodcast.com. Drop us a comment. Hit up the Facebook community. Hit up uh, Diane. And what's the Twitter again? 302010podcast. 302010podcast. It's the summer, so the, the movies are going to be real fun. Stay with us, everyone. Figure out, out a way to listen while you... Uh, Go outside and get some sun. Get get a good pair of earbuds or a rechargeable stereo. The the people in the park will thank you when they blare out my bad Chris Rock impression. Yes. <laughs> Maybe uh, get some more listeners. It'd be awesome. Yes. I can see that just coming up with a big old boombox. Like, hey, party people, want to hear their opinions about the Rocketeer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. My Rocketeer mug should be in by the time we do that. Uh, I I love that movie. Um, But let's close out with Van Hagar right now, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. I love you.